invariably they will start like pulling themselves back together and getting back up. So when you knock them down, they get back up again. You're never going to keep them down. Sorry. Never going to keep them down. <laughs> yes, the Chumbawamba army. I don't have to say these things anymore. You guys are covering for me great. <laughs> yeah, see, we, we 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 know you too well. If we say it, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that uh, does more than just say, wow, cool model. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And wow, cool models. It's Richard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's okay. So we broke that streak already. Ah, Anyway, welcome to episode 226, in which uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the new Necron Codex. Uh, we will eventually be getting back to talking about how to get started with uh, start collecting boxes, but Games Workshop is throwing books at us. And as for news and new releases, it looks like that trend is going to continue because they released their roadmap at least that covers at least through the end of the year. And we're getting Space Wolves and Death Watch next month. Yeah, I'm I'm happy and sad at the same time because I would have liked these two to be spaced out one a month. Because two a month is rough for me, because those are two armies I play. Yeah. But I guess it makes sense that the two of them would be lumped together, but the two codex a month, or even you'll say they're supplements, but still, two a month is a lot. Let's see, December is the month that will hurt me, because that's Blood Angels and Death Guard, which I'm working on Blood Angels (laughs) and I have Death Guard, so I will feel your pain delayed a bit. Yes, you will. (laughs) And then two books coming in January 2021. So we are officially at double events every month. So, yay. And we're not surprised. <laughs> it's it just, it's, I don't want to say it's Index 40K all over again, but Index to when they first rolled those out, it was two codexes a month. And yeah, we're there again. I, yep. I get it with the Space Marines because they need to get the supplements out because right now, Space Wolves and Blood Angels are basically unplayable until their supplements come out um or at least they did release unplayable. Okay. yeah they did release faqs that give them kind of a, a temporary patch to make them playable right. but yeah it's they're not exactly what i would call yeah it's like they give you the detachment abilities they give you like relics and like this replaces everything from uh Psychic Awakening, and their Codex. So right now, they've only got four stratagems, so they're really stripped down. Mm -hmm. But they did, like, update all the stat, like, all the stat blocks and data sheets and such. So, I mean, it's it's playable, but it's not going to be a really fleshed-out army until next month, or until, actually, December. Next month is when Space Wolves will get the playable treatment. Right. So... However, we didn't get the same kind of update on Chaos Army, so they're still stuck with just new weapon stats. Yay. Which is why, you know, December Death Guard, Death Guard will be the yeah. first one where we can kind of see where they're going to go with Chaos Armies and and bring them up to speed. But, uh, yeah, so that's 
you know that that was one big piece of news. And then as far as releases, they are getting all the new models out, but they're not all out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Silent King available. We have Satan Shard of the Void Dragon available. Um, the Hammerfall Bunker and the Primaris uh, Tech Marine are now available. But we're still there's a number of models from these two lines that are that are not purchasable yet. So there'll at least be another another wave of those models coming in the future. Right. Because we've seen previews for for the models that are missing yet and you know, so they're they're coming, they're just not available yet. Yeah, like the Primaris land speeders are not out yet. The heavy intercessors and assault intercessors aren't out yet. Um, the gladiator tank is not out yet. On the Necron side we don't have flayed ones yet. Like the Silent King's out, the new monolith is out, the Convergence of Dominion, their fortification is out. I think it's mostly just the new Cryptex that are missing, like the the Chronomancer and the Psychomancer. And yeah, uh, yeah. Chronomancer, Psychomancer, and then there's one other uh plas well the Plasmancer was in the starter kit, but isn't right. available for purchase separately. Right. I don't believe. Yeah, the new heavy destroyer is out. The like the Ophidian and Scorpec destroyers are available. Yeah, so there's there's obviously still a few holes mm-hmm. to fill, and a lot of stuff is sold out right now. So wow, yeah, I mean a lot of it is sold out because people are you know buying new components for their army. Like the Silent King is out, the Void Dragon is out, the. Uh, the all the satan shards are out. Oh, nice! Right, and there's reasons for that. We'll get to that yeah. when we talk to, when we look at the book. Um, Lich guard are out. Flayed ones are out. Although partially that's because we're waiting for new flayed one kits. But like all the characters are pretty much out, including the new Zerus. Um, you can still get an Overlord. Or no, Zerus is actually in stock. There we go. It's like other than the basics for a Necron army, a lot of it is sold out. Yeah. So people are buying up into this army. Which is good. That's good. Yeah. Like this this army is needed an update for a while. So yeah. I'm glad that people will be playing it again. Um, also, I wanted to briefly touch on there were a couple of things we missed in our Space Marine Codex review. Nope, it was that- perfect. We got everything correct. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to say that's a no. Yeah, we, we, we mess up a lot. We, well, <laughs> well, like I said, you know, we had just received the book when we recorded, and I was just kind of browsing through it. I was mostly looking like, what's core, what's not? That's like the big change. Um, a couple of things that we missed. Was it Duty Eternal, which was a strat that you used on um, Dreadnoughts to make them take less damage. Originally, it cut the damage in half, and then it they changed it to reduce the damage by one. That strat is gone and is now just an ability that pretty much every dreadnought has that just reduces yeah. all incoming damage by one. Yep. Or another one that, that I noticed afterwards uh, when people were discussing it was aggressors lost the ability to shoot twice. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's that a, was a big that, one. <laughs> that's a big change. And so I, I think, I mean, that was kind of their thing too. So it's, it's an odd choice to remove, but well, and I think what's interesting is there's there's now ways to do to get still get double shots through stratagems or through like tactical things. 
it's not that they've completely lost the ability to do it, but now you have to pick and choose. And I think that's better from a game balance perspective because I, I won't disagree were, with that. They were able to throw out an obnoxious amount of shots and it was too much. So, well, and especially mm-hmm. as um, like Ultramarines, when you could put them in tack, like they fired twice if they didn't move and they could advance and shoot without penalty. Mm-hmm. And those two things made them so you could just easily move them up. And then with uh, Ultramarines at the time, basically saying in tactical phase, you could move and shoot without acting like you moved. Suddenly, yeah, you could just move up and just unload a ton of firepower every yeah. turn. Or at least until you fell Changed. out, uh, until, you know, what, until turn four, which was the late. Right. Well, so that's when assault would switch in. Yeah. yeah. But turns two and three, that's enough. <laughs> Right. You use turn one to get up into a position and then turns two and three. Yeah, you just, just mow everything down. So yeah, that that is a, a that's a big change. But like you said, I think it is probably better for the game balance overall. Yeah. I mean aggressors are still really good. So oh, it's yeah. not no 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 complaints. It's not like here. they're not gonna be they're not gonna drop off the table all of a sudden. They're just not going to be nearly as good as they were before. Which right. I'm fine with. But on, on the 40k front, that's pretty much it. It's been a war cry and Sons of Behemoth, <laughs> period. Yeah. And Primarily. Those, those Sons of Behemoth models look so great. <laughs> like, I I want one or several. <laughs> and I don't even play Age of Sigmar. I you have a problem, great. sir. I, they, I'm not, look, not, they are awesome looking models. They are like awesome that. looking. They're, they're huge, but... But as you just pointed out, you don't even play the army. But, you don't really but, play uh, Age of Sigmar, period. I could start Kevin, playing another game. Kevin just likes cool models. Yeah. Go, Richard. Wow, cool model. Wow, <laughs> wow, models. cool model. <laughs> <laughs> we all have problems. Uh, we need to add wow, cool model to the soundboard and just, you know, drop it have, in wherever. We have a soundboard? <laughs> yeah, I need to get us a soundboard. <laughs> That that's that's my that's my task for the next for the next episode. Somebody create a preferred enemy soundboard and link us link it to us. <laughs> uh, I guess I might be scared of what they put on there. Oh, uh. I'm terrified of this idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I, I, just, note to to our listeners: we love you all. Please don't hurt us. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing that came up, like, because they did a preview for, uh, they did a preview last weekend for Blood Bowl and, like, Warcry. The only thing that came up that was 40K related was at the very, very end of it, they teased something coming for 40K Kill Team. And Oh, right. And it was, like, flayed ones. Yeah. Focus. But, yeah, they didn't really give any information about it. So I'm interested to see what they have there, and I assume that's probably when they're going to release the new flayed one kits. But, uh I think they said January when that's when they're going to like more information on that. So, yeah, it's good to see that they're still like teasing things out. And they obviously still have a roadmap. But, yeah, there wasn't really anything specific to the 40K universe other. Well, I guess other than they showed a lot more like the sizzle reel from the animated projects, which. Oh, yeah. Didn't they show off like more Eldar in that one? Mm hmm. Yeah, there was uh, one about striking scorpions and stuff. And uh yeah, it just looks so cool. Oh, think your media Calgar's out, isn't it? I believe. Oh yes, I the, the, the new Marvel comic. I picked. I went ahead yeah. and picked that one up. Uh, it's really good so far. The writing is on point. The art is great. 
Um, also, turns out Space Marines, are, at least for the Ultramarines, are child soldiers. So that's new. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Like they even talk about how like scouts are like fifteen to sixteen years old. I didn't need that. <laughs> I didn't need. To, I didn't need that to be part of the canon. Um, so basically, anytime somebody's been fielding scouts, they're just really, they're just uh, fielding a bunch of roided up teenagers with bolters. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's I, bad when that's the only response you get. Oof. Yeah, our response was really silence. <laughs> I'm thinking of all of the jokes that I want to make right now, and I don't think I want any of them recorded. So, um, <laughs> not for the soundboard, right? <laughs> nope. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a that was a decision, I guess they made. <laughs> hey, you what? We decided we wanted some real heavy moral gray in the universe. So here you go, big old handful of it. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, that's not what, like Space Wolves, their scouts are like the old guys in the unit. Yeah, but it's the teenagers that they sit, put in full power armor and send into battle <laughs> as blood cloths. Yeah. <sighs> so, I, mean, I don't think that's, that might be worse, actually. It, it probably is worse, but. Well, I imagine this universe doesn't have that long of a – your life expectancy in this universe is either like a thousand years or like 20. 30. Oh, 20. Yeah, 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. probably right. But but yeah, just, just take your average high school football team, give them heavy deuces of steroids and bolt guns. Congratulations. You have made Space Marine Scouts. Well, you, they also have some training. Complete with like the the like the pads and body armor is just about right too, except no helmets. Now we we've learned helmets are important. Yeah, I kind of wonder how many Space Marines have severe concussion injuries. <laughs> See, that's why my Space Marines all wear helmets. <laughs> uh, isn't isn't one of the body augmentations a, a prevention of concussions? No, unfortunately not. Wow, you think with all the other things they could do that that would be one of them. See, for me, putting all my Space Marine in helmets is is about good like modeling good safety procedures and not because i can't paint faces oh okay <laughs> <laughs> all right and on that note let's move over to some listener mail <laughs> Uh, as always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air at the end of the segment um, first off, we have a letter from Dan Schumacher. Dan writes, Hi all, I've been a Dark Angels player since 6th edition and have a good-sized force. I love their lore and the crazy speed of the Ravenwing seems to complement my playstyle. When quarantine started, the announcement of the Forge World Lion made me made staying in and painting my green guys easier. While I'm now most of the way done with my Primarch, I found I strangely enjoyed painting all those poor dismembered Night Lords on his scenic base. With 500 and 1,000 point games gaining in popularity, I would like to dip my toes into Chaos for the first time. You just did an episode on Chaos starter sets, but none seem to be particularly suited to the fast play style or the midnight blue of the Night Lords. Where would you recommend starting for a 1,000 point or less list of blue Chaos boys that have some pep in their step or maybe rockets strapped to their back? What are the most interesting HQ options? Are Chaos bikers a thing? Love your podcast. Please keep doing what you're doing. Your friend from 100% Loyal Caliban, Dan in SoCal. Uh, I'm not going to insert a Dark Angels trader joke here because that's been overdone. 
Well, but I was going to, well, so I was going to point out, that was step one that I was going to point out. So I'll skip that too. But well, 100% loyal and you're talking about starting a Night Lord's army? Sounds kind of chaosy to me. <laughs> Maybe he's secretly Alpha Legion is playing both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, or Dark Angels and playing both sides. Well, you, um, you've seen you've seen like the the Dark Angels like to Alpha Legion paint jobs that have, like somebody yes. did. Oh, Those yeah, are yeah. so awesome. But where to get started with uh, doing uh, Night Lords? And as we pointed out, that that starter set they have is not really good for that. Yeah, it's not particularly great. Raptors, Night ta- uh, Warp Talons, uh, Harkin World Claimer is a good Raptor HQ. Whether you want to use him as the named character or if you just want to use him as a base to make a Jump Lord HQ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It- I think that's if you're wanting to do that quick strike. I think that your warp talons and raptors are going to be the way to go. Um, bikes do exist. You can. I don't think you can put a lord on a bike anymore. I think it's been moved to legends, right? I believe so. Yeah. So if you're if you're wanting to do like if you want to just play with friends and do like just a a lord on bike or an all bike army, you can, but you won't be able to use it in you know competitive events. Trying to think what else would be good for that. Possessed, you know, are interesting models. Like, I think either you could do some cool Night Lord stuff with, with Possessed, with kind of the vampire demon wing things that they have. Like, so I, I've seen a lot of people do really cool, like, Raptor Warp Talon conversions, but that seems to be mostly where they, they lean towards is kind of an all jump army. Yeah. I, and in fact, there is a set, a kit you can buy or a box you can buy called the Herald of the Apocalypse Vanguard Detachment. And it is, Harold, it you know, is Harkin World Claimer and 15 Raptors. Oh, yeah, that's a good start. And if you sw- arm swap that spear for another Lightning Claw, then you'd be good to go. Yeah. And there's also a bunch of uh, third par- uh, party uh, sellers that sell like just those Legion style jump packs, like Max Mini and uh, I shoot i think i can't remember the name of the other one so like that sell that style of jump pack so if you have like chaos so if you wanted to like buy the chaos starter set and convert them to warp talons or you know raptors you could do basically backpack swaps from a third party bits vendor if you wanted to yeah but yeah other than that i mean that's where you'd want to start and at a smaller point level like that that detachment would probably get you close to 500 or so. And like at that point you, I would put in just regular space, you know, chaos space Marines for holding objectives because that's still a thing you need to do. A, uh, a hell Drake wouldn't be a bad add on. Yeah. Uh, uh, spell crow makes really good uh, conversion yeah. bits. That's the one I was thinking of for, for night Lords. And if you don't mind dipping into fine cast models, they do have a an old Night Lord's Chaos Lord or the Chaos Lord with a jump pack, if you'd rather go that direction. And they do have a Night Lord's conversion pack you can buy, which again is going to be fine cast bits. You can probably find better conversion bits in, on third party sites. Yeah. Like with winged helmets and and shoulder pads and things like that. But uh but yeah, that's kind of where you'd have to go. Uh, Chaos biker, like you could definitely unit Chaos bikers. Bikes aren't bad. They're you know 
they're fast. They can go cap an objective or try to push people off of it. Uh, they don't suffer any penalties for moving and shooting. So yeah, it's, I mean, those would all work to get you started, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, there's no starter set that's going to necessarily carry it, but that, uh, Heralds of the Apocalypse uh, set, that's one I would definitely look at. Cause that will give you like all the pieces that you need to make yeah. the core of that, uh, Night Lord's army. So I did, I was just doing a quick Google search and Puppets War has what they call these Nosferatu helmets, which are basically, uh, winged Night Lord's helmets. Like for head swaps, if you were to get like regular Chaos Marines and you wanted to make them look more Night Lordy, um, and that's uh, four pounds. I don't know exactly what that is. It's it's going to be about English, four yeah. to five bucks. Uh, they're but, uh, they're about five euro. So yeah, you're you're yeah. probably looking at it like six bucks, something like six that. Six bucks, something yeah. like that. Pits head. But those are really cool. Those are really cool head swaps. So there are plenty of. Night Lord bits and stuff out there to, to, to kind of personalize your army. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, just I, I think that that'll be the fun of that. If you're enjoying building and painting, getting some good uh, conversion bits will will definitely make this a fun army to work on. All right, next letter from Anders Berkstam. Anders writes, Hi, guys. When I first started to listen to your podcast and the listener mail segment, I thought, wow, what if they were to read a mail from me? Well, now I have taken the courage to write one, so here we go. And now here we are reading it, so congratulations. Uh, I've managed to do something historical, at least in my life. I've sold all my 40K armies before COVID hit. Uh, I relax. I bought a new one. In the premieres times we live in, I felt that my old Ultramarines army roughly 15,000 points would eventually lose all its value together with 5,000 points of Imperial Guard, 7,000 points of Tau, 3,000 points of Tyranids, 2,000 points of Deathwing, and all my KR multi-cases, I wiped the slate clean. Of course, I kept my terrain, gaming mats, tools, airbrush, and bitboxes. I wasn't leaving the hobby. Enough ranting. I apologize for the risk of this becoming a long mail. Eh, that's fine. Uh, to the point, my new army is orcs. I play in a friendly gaming meta and no longer regularly go to tournaments. Family, kids, and all that. I love the brutal slapstick style of orcs. And it is important for me that my opponent, my opponent enjoys the game meeting... Or, and it is important for me that my opponent enjoys the game meeting a good and fun adversary. Hence, orcs. Though orcs struggle a bit gaming-wise, I hope I make sense when I say me and my friends, we play hard, we play to win. We are engaged in all parts of the hobby, from collecting models and painting to waging proper war on the tables. We always play points, we play missions, usually with some narration before we start to set the scene. And yes, I make sound effects when moving buggies, tanks, flyers, and fire their weapons. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> now to the question at hand. I have historically struggled with my tactics, strategy, if you will, and lose surely 7 out of 10 games. The effect of this with my previous armies is the more I lose, the harder my army lists get. And that's not really fitting our otherwise friendly meta. Do you have some tips and tricks concerning orcs? What other armies do you fear meeting or enjoy meeting? Uh, my primary opponent is playing a tank-heavy Death Corps of Krieg list with the possible aid of some Dawn Eagle jet bikes from the Golden Boys. My friends and I, who travel to game with, wield Space Wolves, Eldar, Grey Knights, Gene Steeler Colts, and Chaos Marines. I have almost the entire range of orcs in my collection. Most of it is yet to be painted, and I gravita gravitate towards Evil Sons for Mad Max-style lists with buggies, bikes, and flyers. I also dabble with Death Skulls, mainly for the reroll mechanic. No, I usually don't roll that well. 
Uh, lastly, I've been listening to your podcast for a few years now. I listen to some other pods on the hobby, and yours is the closest to the friendly gaming semi-competitive meta I have at home. I really enjoy the content you make. Keep up the good work. Also, the small leak of your pre-recording before every show indicates you also have fun behind the scenes, and it always makes me smile. Andrew's <laughs> from Sweden. And that's why I put it there. To, because we are this is just the four of us sitting around how do we say it before recording today sitting on bar stools having conversations that occasionally go to gaming yeah right <laughs> <laughs> see and i thought it was just to make fun of us so that's good <laughs> it's it's also that too it's a, i like i like starting the show with something that'll just kind of make people have them have a sensible chuckle but as far as any like tips for orcs um it, it sounds like you have exactly the right attitude for playing orcs. Like that is, that is the beauty of orcs is you are playing orcs for the love of this game. And like, you know, winning is just a, a positive thing that might happen every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, more specific than that. I do really like uh, the new buggies. It, mobility is really good in in the most recent editions, plural. Like they, it's been important in armies for a while now. So having that extra mobility of of the buggies, I think is is good. I haven't gotten a chance, honestly, to field them enough. I think to to really key in on what their real true like strengths and how they perform on the battlefield are just yet. Uh, a lot of that comes from just not having the opportunity to play that much lately, but you know, it is what it is. So uh, I, I would continue to suggest things like, you know, the buggies and like, I've always liked, you know, work bikers at this point, I think knob bikers are a little too expensive for any the the benefits that they bring necessarily. Like you, you can probably bring you know a few, but long gone are the days of look. Here's my army. It's all knob bikers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember the, the, the those were not good days. And- <laughs> if you weren't a knob biker player, yeah, I don't really right. miss that. <laughs> I don't miss that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I liked splashing them in more just yeah. with the regular bikers. But. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I do like the idea of sticking with, like, higher mobility units. Um, it, like, tactic-wise, I like... I, I usually have a lot of trouble with, you know, my tactics on the table as well, just for the fact that if I let myself try and analyze like every situation, I, I do tend to get a little bit of analysis paralysis because I want to go over like the myriad of options that like this unit can do and that unit can do. So I usually try and keep it simple. Like this stuff runs forward and hits stuff with sticks. This one's these, you know, stand on objectives and shoot at things done <laughs> well i mean that and that's a really orky way to think about it you know just like mm-hmm. you stand here these guys run up punch thing yep so i know you haven't had a chance to play with it yet but like where do you think your squig off is gonna fit 
in like the list that you build and stuff like that? Uh, I, I, especially since I don't have a weapon for it or haven't made one yet, I, I think it's mainly just going to be like kind of, eh, I mean, take the same places like a battle wagon. Okay. Like it's just gonna have, uh, cause yeah, it's got a little bit of transport capacity if I remember correctly. Yeah, the Howdy can hold something like right. 15, 20 boys. Or at least it. we'll find out when we ever, whenever we get the new Forge World rules. Uh, true. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of waiting for, for that before I make any actually more decisions on that. But like I was kind of just looking to, to have it be a kind of tough transport kind of okay. unit and then anything it does after that is is you know gravy right <laughs> yeah i was just wondering since i knew that was a a new a newer model that you had and i figure it probably hadn't come up in like discussions because i i don't know that i i don't know of anyone else that has one so <laughs> um as far as like what armies do i fear meeting or enjoy meeting i i think that just comes to what is or like it, it depends a lot on what army I'm playing too, because like as my Tau, I have a real issue for some reason. Like all Psycho armies hurt me because I have nothing I can do to stop them other than try to kill them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times these psychic tricks that they can pull. So like Thousand Suns and Gray Knights can be an uphill battle, but orcs I always have fun playing against orcs, especially because most orc players do have that right attitude. Of, <laughs> I'm playing for fun, and if I happen to win, that's a bonus. Yeah, I'd say when, when I play against orcs, the things I actually fear meeting the most is probably the big stuff, like the Morkanot, Gorkanot. I, I doubt you'll see a Stompa, but the the big things, they feel like they're they're slow, but they're still really mobile, and they're they're gun platforms, and I I have a hard time dealing with those. So that that's what I'd say is my thing I, I fear when I see an orc army because I can't say knobs on bikes anymore because they're not as scary as they used to be. <laughs> I will say the the like the the trike war boss, it can be really scary though. Like if he yeah. gets up if he gets to you, you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, he's he's one of the the ones that I am fairly confident with that like he's like you look at him and you just know like this is what he's made to do is to to run up and or zoom up and smash stuff right cuz like yeah. the the other buggies aren't necessarily geared towards i mean they have some close combat weapons that can do some damage but for the most part just being like one model they don't do a whole lot in close combat they're they're more just zippy shooty things in my opinion right and yeah we'll have to see uh, and of course this could all shift up quite a bit when we get their new codex eventually yeah. you know sometimes right. next year so i but yeah i'm kind of like it sounds like going yeah that that uh evil sun's route would be a lot of fun and just and and it allows you to put pressure on your opponent quickly too which you definitely need to do in this edition, especially with the smaller board sizes. You can you can just get there that much faster, right? And, as far as the the question on you, kind of lose 
so you want to make the list harder and that's not as fun a thing to do. Like just being aware of that is a very good step in the right direction already. So winning's not everything, but you should try and win. Uh, so adjusting your list as you, as you play is a natural thing to do. You know, just kind of be aware of how it is that, like, the improvements that you make to your list over time, and, like, being aware of how your opponent reacts to the game that you're playing, and just figure out when the right time to maybe start dialing it back a little bit. And, and like, always, I always, like, try and make sure to include in my list a model or, you know, a unit that I particularly like, but it's for the flavor reason that I like them being there mm -hmm. rather than necessarily that they're super effective, but like they do something, but you know, that, that fun flavor unit, like always make sure to include one or two of those. And, and that can help keep the army list from, from necessarily being so hard and, and not as fun to play against. Yeah, I mean, build something in so that yeah, you're you're ha you are having fun and showing your opponent that you're having fun. But also, you know, and it it this just falls into that whole, you know, the rule zero pregame conversation thing too. You know, as long as you and your opponent are on the same page of yeah, we're playing hard, we're you know, I'm going to play to win, but let's make sure we have a good time doing it. That's I think that's the even that's the most important part of that. Yeah. And it sounds like yeah. it sounds like Andrews has a play group that has that everybody's on board with that. So just as long as, as long as they're willing to communicate too and be like, Hey, uh, this, the, you know, like, yeah, that list is really strong, but man, it is just no, like it just locks this down or it's just really no fun to play against, you know, just being able to have those conversations so that you know when to adjust it. Yeah. Yeah. And one tip I would just say is like the death core Krieg player that like plays the tank heavy army with the Don Eagle jet bikes Maybe maybe convince him to like drop the jet the Don Eagles because that's that's a that's that's a pretty mean combination if you're just playing kind of semi competitively. Yeah, <laughs> like I look at that and I'm like that that sucks that that would not be super fun to play against. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also like when you go in and and adjust your list and it it doesn't hurt to like you know tell your opponent right before you play that list for the first time that, hey, look, like, I feel like I've been losing them a lot more than I should have, so I've kind of tried to spice up my list a little bit, so it may be a little, a little tougher this time, you know, so that they're, you know, they know what they're getting in for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, that just that communication is so important on that. All right, next up, a letter from Cordell Trusty. Cordell writes, Hello, with the spirit of your latest episodes on Start Collecting Boxes and with the holidays right around the corner, I always look forward to GW's Holiday Army Box Bargains. What would your dream army box be? Something you would jump on immediately. I think mine would be a Disco Lord with a couple of Mauler Fiends or Defilers. Keep up the great work. Stay safe, Cordell Trusty. Ooh, that's a fun I, one. That's a good question. I think... For me, I don't need it, so I don't know if I'd jump on it right away, but it would harken back to the old Apocalypse box of, like, a ton of jet bikes, like maybe nine jet bikes, I guess a Viper, because it's still there, and then, like, three 
like warlocks and then a farseer on a jet bike because that that's how i got started into the the game was just getting a air quote great deal but just getting all those jet bikes at once because that's what, what i wanted to play with eldar and that's yeah if it came back and i needed jet bikes i would definitely jump on something like that yeah uh i, I will echo kind of similar to like what dennis said and like I remember the way I got started into this game, and it's called the Orc Half of the Black Reach Box. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, it had so much good stuff for you to start with. Yep, yep. And it's, I guess, not terribly different than well, what is, what is the Orc Starter Box now? It's it's a bunch of boys and like a pain boy. Um, it was a boar boss. Five orc knobs, twenty orc boys, and three def coptas. No, oh, those def coptas. Yeah, yeah, those are fun. Yeah, I miss those def copta models. Like yeah. you can kind of still, you know, find them in like eBay and stuff. But well, and that war boss model was like one of the best ones they had for a long time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I still can't believe they've never released those def coptas as stand. No, I take that back. Didn't they? Like as one of their like. When they did that line of, like, really easy to build, like, starter sets for, like, non-40K hobby stores, did they have them available that That, that was, way? yes, that was, that was mm-hmm. like, the only time that they re-released those. But, like, like, you go into their website now, and, like, it's still that old uh, Finecast double rotor little old Defcopta model that they have... Listed on the site that is temporarily out of stock right now. Anyway, but yeah, it's like it's like why why would you not update that with this obviously superior kit that you've had for? Yeah, I have. I I have no idea. But yeah, the yeah the start collecting box now is is a, a def dread and a, like units of boys and a unit of knobs and a pain boy, which is which is a pretty good. Start collecting bikes, but it's didn't not. they have one like a like a year or two ago that was like when they released the new Def Dread where it was like a can wall list? Yeah, they did. That one was pretty cool too. <laughs> Man, what would I? What gets start? Like, what army box would would be my jump? Because like I'm I'm kind of at the point where I don't want to jump on anymore. <laughs> Right. What's a box that got you into an army? Or Uh, that's. uh, I mean, I I would be with you. The old apocalypse tau, like the tau battle force boxes, were really good because they. You had like, you know, you you got a, and this is when they didn't have that many options. But like, you got a bunch of crisis suits and stealth suits, and like a commander suit. And, or you got enough suits that you could build one as a commander and they give you and there were also boxes that had like three hammerheads and then here's one that has like two devil fish and a bunch of guys and pathfinders and stuff like that. I mean those were really good start collecting or you know good ways to get started. Nowadays though I think I I'd want something a little bit more well-rounded. Um honestly the sisters uh army launch box they did was a really good one. Yeah, and if they brought back something similar to that, but with more of like the new models that they did, like instead of the monopose special models, if they did one with just the kits where you could customize them, I think that would be really good. Like with the new Canonus, 
a couple of boxes of the new like sisters models, a box of the new retributors, a box of the new Zeref like Seraphim Zeraphim kit, and then like one of the maybe tanks. yeah like the either an immolator or an exorcist you know something like like that that launch box with a little bit more was a really good purchase yeah so i kind of have well i first i want to say that the idea of the disco lord with like mauler fiends and a defiler that's fantastic it is i would love to see that like that's i like that because it's a good theme of like you know, you build this and you have a, you just have a good like start to that theme. I guess the two that I would like to see, I would love to see like a Farsight Enclave's army box that is just suits. So you have like your commander suit, uh, you know, several units of of just regular crisis suits, a couple of uh, you know, a couple of the the broadsides, like some stealth suits. You know, maybe include like a ghost keel or a riptide as like your big thing, but I would love to see like just a a tower army box that is like here is like your far side enclaves all crisis suit all suit army. Or, um, or I think Kevin, that'd be a good why one. not make it just the the eight? That would I be mean, a box. Or you could yeah, like I would love to do something like that. <laughs> but the difference, the only reason why I would hesitate to say like just make it the eight would be I don't want to limit it. Like I would, I would love for them to like release those and then like maybe release like upgrade sprues for like, here is how you take this, you know, here's how you take this commander and make him, you know, this, this commander or something like that. But I I think just in general, like just the ability to like get a lot of those suits in one box would be very appealing. Uh, The other one that I, that I was thinking of, and they did a, an apocalypse box of this. But I'm thinking more of a, a slight twist to it. So there was the uh, Apocalypse Super Heavy Detachment that was released last year, which was a Knight Castellan and two Armagers. I would love to see something like that, but also throw in the sprues to make it a Chaos Knights army. Because right now, there's there's a couple of Chaos Knight boxes, but they're just individual <laughs> boxes like there's no way to like get started with multiple pieces of that army in one box so basically take that super heavy detachment but also just throw in an upgrade sprue or two um to be able to chaos them up i think yeah honestly like take having like one one or two of the chaos like the the actual renegade knight kids Mm -hmm. and then yeah some armagers and then add in just the their kind of standard chaos vehicle sprues yeah would go that a would long be way. great yeah i would love that uh, cordell hopefully that that kind of gives you an idea of where our mind's at but yeah the, the idea of a disco lord with actual like demon engines behind it would be a yeah. really or you know it'd be another way to put out like a disco lord a couple of muller fiends and then maybe put out the oblitz and the venom crawler again as like yeah. a you know when they you know when they decide to roll out those those models uh which hey maybe we'll get multi-part versions of those uh whenever they drop the new you know the updated chaos codex yeah i would expect so yeah all right next a letter from simon crunch simon writes hi guys long time listener first time caller first mm-hmm. off i enjoy your podcast and appreciate you guys doing it i thank you very much and we appreciate you writing in I have two questions, if that's all right. No. Sorry. No. You get <laughs> one and you'll like it. Both no. of them. 
Uh, one, alternate paint, alternate paint schemes on Space Marines. I play Ultramarines and have a sadly huge army. However, over the years picking up lots of box sets, I've amassed a sizable collection of Marines that didn't go full Smurf. They're Space Wolves, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, and Generic Marines. My question co- concerns your judgment as tournament organizers and players. I'd like to paint them in a unified paint scheme so I could try out other rules from time to time. I have all the specific models, such as Death Company and Deathwing. I have 60 Deathwing Terminators, so it's almost its own army. But I would like to share common assets, such as Rhinos and Primaris Marines. I feel this is a good time, since the Marines will be a living co- living in a common codex. What would your advice or guidance be? A second question. Have you guys considered doing your long-avoided Imperial Guard army as a group project between the four of you? You'd have the <laughs> army to test out, but no one person would be on the hook for painting 120 guardsmen. Eh, maybe I just like a teamwork a bit much. Uh, thank you. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Simon. Uh, I'm going to answer that second question. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's going to be even harder since we're in three yep. different cities now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that if we were all in person again, that would be a possibly maybe. Also although I still feel, know, but also still know it's, <laughs> I have, I have tried to, to do guardsmen and I, it's just an army that, you know, th- there are armies that click certain buttons for everybody. Um, this does, it does not hit anything for me and I've tried. So, well, and- he hit the 120. I, I still have so many Eldar and Dark Eldar and Space Marines that I haven't painted yet, so yeah, I, that would be too much of a paint thing for me. Yeah, it'd be, it would be a, a rougher. And, and yeah, splitting it up would be, I mean, I guess like 120 Guardsmen. You'd, also, there's just the cost of buying that many Guardsmen yeah. to paint. Uh, and one day we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, start collecting Imperial Guard box and explain why maybe not the way, maybe not the way to go. Uh, but any, uh, on, on the first the the first question, the uh, alternate paint schemes, um, or, or painting everything unified and being able to swap it out. Um, since all of those armies, including Space Wolves, now apparently uh, allow for you know successor chapters. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with painting them all a relatively unified scheme and then just like whatever you're running it as, it's a successor of chapter X. Uh, I would say as a tournament organizer, the one thing you need to be careful of is that you are not running it as a mixed force where you have like a detachment of one chapter and a detachment of another because then it would be very difficult to tell the two apart. Right. As long as you're, as long as everything in the army is painted the same and running under the same rules, I don't think you'll have any problems. Now, what I, what I could maybe suggest is, and I, I have not thought about this. So like the examples I'm going to give are, you know, slightly off, but like, let's say that you decided to go with like a gray primary scheme. You could then like paint the stuff that's like Deathwing specific as like gray and black and your space wolf stuff like gray and red or something to distinguish, to keep them unified, but to keep them kind of distinguished enough that you could potentially run them in a mixed force. But if you're going to run, if you're going to paint everything the same way, you basically have to pick when you're going to an event, what army it's all going to be. And then it has to all be that or it has to be distinct enough that it's easily at easily uh to identify at a glance which is 
the, you know, Dark Angels part, which is the Blood Angels part, etc. Yeah, uh, that, and that's, I mean, that that is just, and as somebody who would be playing against that army, if I can't tell the difference between your, like, oh, this is the Blood Angels detachment, this is the Space Wolves detachment, if I can't tell at a glance which is which, that's a huge problem. Yep. And I and I think there have even been some events that have actually said like yeah if you are running two chapters together they have to be visually distinct. Yes. Um, but if you're just planning on running mono faction armies, then this should be yeah it really shouldn't be any issue. Now some things like hey Deathwing and Death Company, keep the Deathwing in like a bone color. Keep the yeah the uh, Death Company as black. Because A, that makes those units even stand out in the army, and B, it makes it very easy to, like, you could slot them in, and they're immediate, like, if you have Assault Marines and Death Company, now the Death Company is very clearly Death Company. So, like, there's some things where the armies themselves already kind of lend to this, regardless of your other coloration, this army, or this unit, or this section of your army is always this color. Those things I would keep that way but like your stuff that is just generic marine bodies or so similar like like i wouldn't let's say you had a ball predator i wouldn't necessarily think you'd need to paint your ball predator a different color than your generic marine tanks i I would Mm -hmm. keep that the same but like if you had ravenwing death company deathwing definitely paint those in color schemes that will stick out even amongst the rest of your army just for that, that, that's more for just fluff reason, but it also makes it very easy to drop them in without it being a problem. So I'm going to mention this, and it's not a paid plug, although I do own their products, and I and I do think they're very good. Squad Marks makes these little um, base like things, like things that just clip onto the base, and then you can paint like the 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 clip a different color to like denote like what unit and things like that it is. You could potentially, and you know, as long as it's like very vibrant colors that are like easy to distinguish, you could potentially use those to distinguish different factions within your army and then have the ability to basically just remove those and add them on to different, different models, like for freestyle of play. I don't, I don't know if a tournament would necessarily let you'd have to get that approved beforehand. But, like, that would be an, an easy way to be able to distinguish, at least in more casual settings, you know, having everything with unified paint scheme and then just slapping on the different base add-ons that say, okay, this, all of the red ones are my blood angels, all of the blue ones are my, you know, my space wolves. That might work, and like I said, that might even be acceptable at certain events, but definitely check if you're going to do something like that. But I kind of like that option because that's something that you can then – remove and kind of mix and match and have more flexibility with agreed agreed and that that would be a good way but yeah absolutely if you were going to take that to a tournament get that approved first just so because some tournaments will will you know be more strict about that than others so just always check with your to ahead of time if if you think something could even be remotely questionable or somebody could possibly have a problem with it just double check yep and then finally, the return of a list review. Believe it or not. <laughs> From Gareth Holes, Gareth writes, Hi all, I found your podcast having recently gotten back into 40k after a 15-year break. I originally started playing back when Terminator saved on 2D6, playing Eldar and Catechins. 
Oh my gosh, I remember those. Back days. in our days, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the trap rules for playing in the jungle. My opponents, not so much. I decided to pick up a Tau army and have mostly been playing against Marine players. I was hoping for your advice on my list against the wider field. I usually put one of these Breacher squads and a strike team. In- okay, I'm going to read the list and then we'll go over the strategy. Uh, so his list is a single battalion. Um, it is a Farce Enclave battalion. He's taken uh, the emergency dispensation strat uh, for 3 CP to have two extra relics, which he's using for um, uh, specialty uh, weapons in this case. So he starts off, he's got a commander in an X-85 suit uh, with four cyclic ion blasters, a pure, tri- uh, pure tide chip, and that's his warlord. And then a cold star suit with uh, quad fusion blade or fusion blasters, two of which have become fusion blades. And then uh, a uh, shield drone and a marker drone. Three units of breachers that are all 10-man units, all with a Guardian drone and a shield drone. And the Guardian drone gives them a 6-up in Voln, which breachers increase to 5-up. Um, so he's got three units of those. Uh, two units of five-man uh, strike teams with uh, the sergeant having a marker light. Uh, he's got two Riptides, one with the improved ion accelerator, the amplified ion accelerator, and then a drone controller and an early warning override and then smart missiles. And then a riptide and then the second riptide with smart missiles, an advanced targeting system, a drone controller, and the heavy burst cannon. Two units of drones that are both two shield drones, two marker drones, a piranha with a fusion blaster, uh, two broadsides that are both uh high yield missile pods, smart missiles. Um, advanced targeting system and seeker missile and both with one shield drone and one marker drone. And then finally a devil fish, just stock devil fish comes in at exactly, comes in at exactly 200 points, 2000. And uh, so he says, I usually put one of the breacher squads and a strike team in reserve to grab objectives or table quarters. I try to play pretty aggressively, pushing the other two breacher squads, one in the Devilfish, uh, up onto the mid-table objectives, while the rest of the army providing support and the Cold Star acting as a rapid response reserve, usually either hunting vehicles or any deep striking reserves. Enclave seemed to be an automatic choice. Getting the free marker light at 12 inches is great. Keep up the good work, Gareth. Um, this is actually very similar to uh, a list that actually a, a Tau list that did well at a recent tournament. And actually, uh, I'll link to that on Goonhammer, um, which the difference there being it only ran one, um, uh, one, uh, Riptide and, uh, used like some stealth teams instead. But otherwise, it's very, very similar. Um, this breachers are with their guardian drones are a really good choice right now for Tau because holding objectives is key and survivable troops is key and having a five up invul you know a four up five up is a lot better than having just a four up so mm-hmm. this is a really good way to try to hold objectives clear people off of them if you can get up close in their faces or if they assault you uh, the uh, pulse blaster is a pretty decent weapon. At close range, uh, you're only running two commanders or, you know, two characters, really. So um, assassinate is not something you're going to be giving up as far as like a secondary objective. The uh, the two broadsides will get a lot of work done. They're pretty hardy. Um, you've got lots of marker drones. And uh, granted, they are they're hitting on five ups most of the time, but having the drone controller in a couple of spots will help with that. I mean, Tau is in a rough spot right now, but 
I think, you know, being far side enclaves lends well to playing aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd make too many changes. The only thing I could think of is possibly swapping out the heavy burst cannon riptide for something, you know, just more bodies to, uh, to hold objectives. Uh, 300 points would get you looking at elites. Stealth suits aren't bad because the, you know, the minus one to be hit is, is always handy. Okay. So one possibility, which could get you a little bit more bodies and also play around with some of the, the weapon updates, uh, drop the heavy burst cannon, uh, riptide for a unit of stealth suits um, with two burst cannons and then a sergeant with a fusion blaster and a drone controller and add in another shield drone marker drone combo. So you haven't given up having a drone, another drone controller around and you get a couple more drones for it. And then a unit of three crisis suits all with triple flamers. Hmm. Because now that your flamer, now that Tau actually have 12 inch flamers like everybody else, dropping them in would a lot like you could if you ran up against like a horde army or something you could just clear it which could be really useful unfortunately the flamers don't necessarily help with the marker light because you don't need to roll to hit (laughs) but but you being able to you know like you've got your your tenant of re-rolling uh wound rolls of one with fear within six inches so that once those flamer suits go down they can you know, like get move up on things and, and clear them out and be even nastier. So, and that comes in at exactly 2000 points as well. Um, but that would get you like a couple more units on the board. Oh, and also I added, I added a third strike team with the marker light. Uh, so you just got trading that one riptide for three units. You still have lots of firepower, um, it's not quite as powerful as the heavy burst cannon, but you get a little bit more board control, a little bit more um, like you've got a, a that crisis suit team that you can just drop down. You've got a stealth team that you can infiltrate. So um, just being able to to cover a little bit more of the board and still have a fair amount of firepower, I think, might be a change you'd make. Like none of the like your list isn't bad at all. And it's like I said, it's pretty close to about as good as Tau can get right now. Tau is in a really weird spot because the addition is not kind for how Tau plays. But hopefully um, that like if if this list isn't as you have, it isn't working for you. I would look at possibly the the triple flamer suits because I think they're a viable option now. And it's also one of the cheapest suits you can get because they're like 45 points each so it's only 135 for nine flamers dropping down uh, nine flamers on a trio of you know tough five three wound three up bodies is not bad and being able to just basically clear the drop zone out is i i think would be a, a good a good play to have and it lets you like if somebody's getting into your back line it lets you drop in somebody there or if somebody's you know if you've managed to clear an area out or there's an area where like you could clear it out if you just hit them with a lot of a lot of damage you know a lot, a lot of attacks you know weight of you know weight of fire especially when you don't have to deal with ballistic skill is a really good place to be, and you're talking 96 attacks. <laughs> so yeah, 96 attacks that wound that are, you know, strength four. So 
depending on what you're playing, like if you're playing against like guardsmen or gene stealer cult or um, like even Eldar, uh, you can burn a lot of things down pretty fast with that. So that's, that's a, a change you might make, but honestly it's what you have is not a bad start. No, I will say I, I kind of agree. I, I like that. This is, a tower army that doesn't just rely on drones because that's kind of what we've seen for the last several years. So I'm glad that this like is a much more engaging play style. Um, I agree that I think that tower in a very difficult spot right now. So I think this is probably as close as you're going to be able to get to a, you know, a, a competitive tower army uh, that's still, you know, that's still fun to play and, and still fun to play against. So um, yeah, yeah, I like this list. Yeah, I mean, the Piranha is a good choice in this edition, um, being able to push up quickly. It's a shame that we the Fusion Blasters didn't get the same treatment as Melta weapons, so we're going to have to wait yeah. on that. But still, uh, you know, Quad Fusion Cold Star is not bad, and you've yeah. got so... Like, you're going to have a lot of little drone units, but with kill points no longer really being a thing, that's not a problem, really. So you, you're going to have shield drones all over the place to help keep whatever you need to keep alive, alive. And you've got lots of just individual little bits of marker light support. So you know, you're going to have marker light hits where you need them. And if you're within like, you know, the, if you're within 12 inches on a, like if anybody gets close to you, you've got basically one marker light, which means you re-rolling ones. So that helps your overwatch that helps, uh, like I said, those breachers have to get in close anyway to be really effective. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can actually, this list is about as good as you're likely to get right now until we get a new codex. So I like it. And I, I, I've always been a fan of playing Tau aggressively. I mean, I will castle up and I've built lists that castle up too, because that in eighth, that was also, an effective strategy in some ways because you did a lot of like hero hammer overlapping auras mm-hmm. stuff, but not so much now. So this and, and like it's it's a list that's built to not give up too many obvious strategy you know secondaries to use against it. So uh, and you've got lots of units like including those those drones because like your drone like the tactical drone units on their own or. Like the drones that come down with your broadsides or your stealth suit, like if you do that swap or your riptides or your cold star commander, those drones can do actions. So you can like you can be moving them around and doing actions with them on objective markers or wherever you need them. So this this ha- yeah I, we've seen like in our test games we've seen the benefit of having these just like little add on support models that when they're done doing their add on support are actually pretty good at getting you points. So mm. I like it. I, I like it overall. And like I said, there's a couple of swaps I might make, but you don't have to just play around with it, see how it goes. But yeah, I would consider maybe swapping out that second riptide for more stuff just to, to again, give you more bodies and a few more options. And if you have a letter you want to write to us, uh, whether it's your first time or your 10th time writing in, or you've got a list to look at or questions uh, rules questions, army painting questions, yeah, 
our dream lists, dream boxes, et cetera, et cetera. Anything you want to write into us, uh, there's three good ways to write into us. Uh, you can uh, email us. Our email addresses are our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. You can like us there, follow us, and uh, message us there. Third is Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferredenemy, singular. And uh, we take questions from all three sources, put them together, throw them in the hopper, get through as many as we can in, in a decent amount of time, and uh, read them on the air. Uh, also, if you're interested in supporting the show, um, we would actually ask first that you uh, donate money to local charities in your area, whether they're food banks or rent assistance or uh, medical supply assistance, things like that, because we still have a an economy hit by a pandemic going on. But if you uh, all, still, after all that, want to support the show, uh, you can support us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. And it's basically just an online tip jar. We don't have any shows uh, locked behind a paywall. Everything, you know, everybody who subscribes to the show or catches it on uh, iTunes or even just goes to the website and listens to it. However you, you choose to listen to it, it's always going to be free. Uh, but if you want to help support us and do things like pay for our equipment, which we actually did have a couple of technical difficulties, so we might be having to buy a couple new mics. Uh, It'll be fine. Uh, but uh, uh, you co- it covers our hosting costs for the show as far as, like, like I said, keeping our keeping the website up, keeping the mics working and keeping our connections up and going so that we can continue to bring the, bring the show to you. So if you want to help support that, um, even if it's just a dollar a month, another enough people put in a dollar, it really does help out. And we do appreciate the help. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the new Necron codex. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, And when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. 
If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at the new 9th edition Necron Codex. And I'm just going to say right off the top, this book, while it does have all the old units for Necrons, uh, this is a very different army now. Yeah, (laughs) very much. And, uh, you know, as far as, like, the presentation, um, basically what we said about the uh, 9th edition uh, Space Marine Codex still holds here. Uh, the fluff section is relatively short with uh, more focus on kind of the the basic technology and overview of the the army the the you know the history of the faction but not a ton of it um, focus on the individual dynasties uh, a little bit more fiction and then focus on the, like the in- individual characters. Like, you know, the Silent King and Imhotek, Trazen, Zerus, Oricon, etc. Uh, not a lot of the deep dive into individual units that we used to get. Um, they show some different color schemes, not nearly as many as, as we had in the Space Marine Codex. So, like, we don't see uh, color sheets for, like, all the various, uh, like, dynasty variations. And then the book is organized in very much the same way as the Space Marine Codex. So everything we said about that, where it was very neat, clear, cleanly organized, lots of reference, everything, you know, in a very clear order, that still holds here. Uh, I, I also want to mention, because I didn't, I didn't really point this out, um, on the, like, the core book and the Space Marines Codex uh, and, and this book, just from, like, a visual presentation like just the aesthetic and like design of these books F- for some reason like they not to say that presentation of books in the past were bad but there's something about these books that I, I I'm having a hard time putting my finger on but they just feel a, a lot cleaner there's, there's- there's more white space, I think, is the big thing. Like, there, there's just it, more borders around things that when you look at a page, like, the the artwork is only taking up, like, minimal corner, and then the rest of the page is, like, clear and distinctly laid out, which I think is, it's a simple thing, but it, it makes it much easier to read and much easier to scan through. Right. One of the other things that I, I, I think I've... I've uh, that I've been able to identify as far as like a, a visual design aesthetic um, that applies here. And it was in the other books as well. Whenever games workshop before would put things in a box or, you know, you had a border around something. It was always like this, like ripped edges or like, rusted and pitted and like textures and so like there are a lot of very straight very crisp lines mm-hmm. in, in this design that I, I that like I said it just gives these books a very clean look that is different than their 
previous edition books. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, like you said, crisp, clean, letting, letting the text be the focus rather than the, ooh, look presentation fancy. Right. Right. And like there is like there's still textures on these pages oh, on oh, these yeah. pages, but they're they're just they're muted enough that it, it gives good contrast. Yeah, it's just easier on the eyes to read. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, presentation on on this. If if this is what we can. C- continue to expect from the the rest of the codexes i think the codexes are just going to be much nicer to have around as as rules reference um and and yeah like fluff sections are still good but you know i, I i'm kind of glad after looking at these these two most recent codexes that they're not feeling beholden to the way they used to do it to you know they're not afraid to try something new and change change things up so i appreciate that yeah like i I did always find it odd, like, I I had a very difficult time telling, like, the difference between, like, 6th, or the, like, the 7th and 8th edition codexes, just from a, like, a just from a, a visual, like, glance, it w- was hard to tell which was which. Right. But, and, and the books are a different size, too. It's weird. Yes, they are. They're a little bit wider. Or, By about like a, a third to a half inch. Yep. Why? Yeah, and a slight, just like a a smidge slightly taller, but but having just that extra bit of width does give it. It like Kevin said, you know, it gives the pages a little bit more white space, lets things breathe a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, unlike the Space Marine Codex, I'm not going to like go through this in exact order and i'm going to instead jump to uh page 80 which is the data sheet section and because that's where the two kind of army-wide rules are covered and these are two of the biggest changes right off the top of the bat and i I will right off the top and i will come back to like er earlier sections but i wanted to bring these up and i think we've had a little bit of discussion on this because it was revealed on the warhammer community site for reanimation protocols but mm. there's that and the command protocols and i think those are so fundamental to how this army is designed and intended to work that it's it is good to understand these if you're going to make any attempt to play this army so Reanimation protocols has been a thing that Games Workshop has worked back and forth on, and I don't think it's ever worked the same way in two editions in a row. No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's like it's like faith points. Once, a, <laughs> once <laughs> upon a time, there was the "will be back" rule, which was changed for copyright reasons. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, what copyright would that be? What would they be infringing on there? Anyway. Nothing that involves <laughs> silver skeletons, I assure you. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there were always rules about, like, because, because what they were trying to model is the idea that you can knock Necrons down, but invariably they will start, like, pulling themselves back together and getting back up. So there were always, there was the addition where it was, you know, models getting up at the end of the turn. There was the addition where it was just, it was a feel no pain roll, but not a feel no pain roll. 
they, there's been different variations on like where the models, I think eighth edition was the models come back, but they don't count against morale if they came back. But you had, so you unless had to keep you track them of in them morale. separately. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you, yeah, if they ran away, they didn't count for coming back. It was a mess. And so they've completely changed up how it works. It's similar, but very different. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of give you the overview. Basically, at this instead of happening at the end of a particular phase or at the end of any given phase, this now happens at the end of any time an enemy unit shoots or fights against one of your units. After that unit has made all its attacks and they've all been resolved, if any models in this unit were destroyed, but the unit wasn't wiped out, the unit was not destroyed, then you basically trigger reanimation protocols for the unit or for the models that were just destroyed by that set of attacks. To do that, you figure out how many wounds worth of models were destroyed and you roll that many D6s. For every die that comes up five or more, you set those aside and the, then you can spend those f- based on the number of wounds that in a model in that unit would have. And for every every number of wounds in that pool, you like pull that number of dice out and put a model back. And eventually you will either run out of dice or run out of models. And then anything that didn't get get up is just gone. Okay, so they just get one shot. They get one shot, but yeah. you get a shot every time a unit gets targeted. So let's say you had a unit of 20 Necron Warriors, you know, like there's a big blob squad. And somebody, like you have a unit of, of Marines firing bolters out there, and they kill seven of them. So you'd roll 76. Every five, since warriors only have one wound, every five you roll means a warrior is going to get back up. So let's say th- three of three of those seven get back up. So now your unit's down to seventeen. Then a second unit of fire, or a second unit of Space Marines fires at that blob of warriors and kills six more. Three of them could have been the ones that just got back up. You roll another right. six dice. You roll six more dice, and then for every five you roll, so let's say two more of them get back up. So yeah, it's basically after they like you. It's really not so much that you care about the individual models, but basically just like how many wounds did the unit take in this attack that, or how many wounds worth of models were removed? Reroll that many. Roll that many and try to have them come back. Right. Well, this also kind of sounds like it'll make it slightly harder for some of the higher wound guys to come back. It does. Uh, yep. So, uh, like for the warriors and immortals, very easy. Flayed ones, very easy. Lich guard have two wounds each. They're gonna have a harder time coming back up. Now they're harder to kill, but at the same time, if you have a unit of five lich guard and you lose three, well, they're two wounds each. You roll six. Let's say you get lucky and you half of those come up. Well, you can return one model, and then you're going to have one die left. That doesn't mean somebody comes back with one rune remaining. That half model is just gone. Yeah. So this is only something that applies to multi multi model units. Like characters don't have this obviously because the characters removed, they're just gone. But like uh, it's also been expanded, so there are some units before that could get them with special rules or stratagems, but like canoptic wraiths have reanimation protocols. They are three three wounds each, and they can only be up to a unit of six. So 
it's going to be really hard for you to get more than maybe one back at a time. Good, because I hate wraiths. <laughs> but they can come back. It is possible. So I like this rule better than what they had in 8th edition. It's, and I get why they, why they've done it this way. My frustrations is that this is like, it's half a page to explain this rule because it isn't, it isn't super instinctive. And it's basically a very, very long winded way to get to what they had before, which was five up, feel no pain. Cause that's effectively what this is with the, some caveats of like, you don't get it if the unit's wiped out and you have to like regain all the models to bring up all the wounds to bring a model back. But like, it's kind of frustrating because it is effectively just a five up feel no pain, but they've put in all these mm-hmm. other little caveats that like make it not in, in instinctively like intuitive. I, yeah, I, I'd say I, I wouldn't say it can, it's a five up feel no pain because one of the things about a feel no pain is that one model with some lucky feel no pain rolls could just tank like a bunch yeah. of attacks. And mm-hmm. we've seen that happen in game. Yeah. In no, this like, case, I, the model, like you're like the models aren't shrugging off the wounds. They're mm-hmm. taking the wounds and then getting back up. Yeah, I, I, I get why they didn't want to just do feel no pain again, because that was incredibly strong. But the description of this rule and, and maybe once we start playing with it, maybe it won't. It'll make more sense and it won't be like and it'll play fast. But like. They put in a lot of caveats and a lot of like extra like things for what is effectively on a five up, you get a model back or you get a wound back. Like that's, that's my concern is that with streamlining a lot of these other elements of the game, this is still clunkier than it feels it should be. See, from Rob's description, I, I think I'm on the other side, Kevin. I think the description is stereo instructions, as we've said from other things. But I think once you get the feel of it, once you see it played, it'll mm-hmm. start becoming intuitive. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like that it's it happens immediately, so that you're not, yes. like, bookkeeping and remembering things across phases. So I do like that, and it, it, do, it is stronger than it was before because you get it at the end of the attack, so you can... It is possible that you regain models and then somebody else has to shoot it and you can't just have four units whittle a, a unit down completely and then get no saves. But I, I don't know. It's still – it reads clunkier than it needs to be and it's it's better than they've had in a long time, but it still doesn't feel perfect. I don't know. Well, I, I think it has to read that way because you know how people are with interpreting things. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it is not. I, I will agree that it's not elegant. Like it is yeah. not elegantly worded. But I do. I, I'm I'm with you, Dennis. That it is as clear as it needs to be to get through those like weird corner cases, what if mm-hmm. type scenarios, which people like coming up with. Yes, they do. <laughs> exactly. All, there are a couple other things. Reanimation protocol rules can never be modified by more than one in either direction, so minus one or plus one. So there's no way to stack things so that models just automatically come back up. Well, and that keeps it very standard with what they've had for this whole edition. Right. Um, Reanimated, and they basically say, you know, if the number of dice in the pool is greater than or equal to the wounds characteristic of any of the remaining, or the reassembling models, select one of the models to be reanimated, and they say, like, a reanimated model comes back with its full wounds remaining... Um, can only be set up with an engagement range of enemy units that are 
already within engagement range of the re- reanimated models unit. So you can't like stretch it over into another unit. Um, cannot, if it's your charge phase, be set up closer to any enemy units that are targets of a charge declared by units this phase. So if you, if you're in the charge phase and they died to overwatch, you have to set them up in the back of the unit. Um, which that's good to clarify so that somebody doesn't try to squeeze their way into a better charge. <laughs> and it no longer counts as having been destroyed for the purposes of morale test this turn. So basically they, they don't interact with morale in any meaningful way. Then you reduce the number of dice in that pool by number equal to the wounds characteristic of the reanimated model. Repeat the process. And then they give an example specifically with Lich Guard. So, like I said, in the shooting phase, an enemy unit targets and makes its attacks against a five-strong unit of Lich Guard, destroying three models and leaving another with only one wound left. Um, They reanimate protocols kick in. You make rolls. Uh, each Lich Guard has wounds characteristic of two, so you'd roll 3d6. If you rolled one, three, four, five, five, and six, you put three dice in the pool. Uh, contains enough dice to reanimate one of the destroyed models, so it's set back up. After that model has reanimated, there's only one die remaining in your pool. It's not enough to reanimate another resembling, or reassembling Lich Guard model, as it's less than the model's wounds characteristic. The die is therefore discarded. So, like I said, if you have half wounds remaining or stuff, it just doesn't get back up and it's just dead. Now, What's interesting with this is how uh, resurrection orbs work now on uh, characters. So, for example, let's say you have an overlord with a resurrection orb. Or even just a regular lord with a resurrection orb. Once per battle in the command phase, the bearer can use its resurrection orb. It does, If it does, select one friendly dynasty unit within... Six inches of the bearer that is not at its starting strength and has not had its reanimation protocols enacted this phase, which it really shouldn't. It's the command phase. Nothing really (laughs) dies during the command phase. But if it did, if it could be shot at in the in the command phase, it wouldn't be triggered. But uh, that unit's reanimation protocols are enacted and every destroyed model in that unit begins to reassemble. So let's say you get you've got that 20. Uh, strong model uh, or strong unit of warriors, and it's been whittled down to like three. You can kick on your res orb once per battle, target that unit. You roll seventeen dice to see how many of them get back up. That's pretty nice. Yeah, that actually seems fair, and it seems like it fitting. So it's, I'm okay with that. It's very flavorful, rather than just yes, being like a bubble of your rolls are better. Now, I believe there are. Let's see. I think some of the uh, cryptex may actually. Improve your rules. Let's see. Yeah, because there are ways to like get it better, and I I do believe it's Cryptex. Uh, there's also like there's the Canoptic Reanimator, which is that new model that was in the uh, the starter box, you know, in uh, Indomitus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your command phase, you can select one friendly dynasty unit within six inches of and visible to this model until the start of your next command phase. While that unit is within six inches and visible to this model, that unit is being healed by this model's reanimation beam. When it's being healed by reanimation beam, add one to reanimation protocols made for that unit. So, like, there are things that you can command, conti- or you can add, and yeah, there are, I believe... So, the Technomancer has rights of reanimation... Uh, in the command phase, you select one friendly dynasty core unit within six of this model. One destroyed model is reanimated. So you basically yeah, just, just you don't even roll one back. Yeah. Yeah. And that that would be really good for like your Lich Guard and thing like that. So it's just like, mm-hmm. boom, model comes back. Yeah. And there will be there are other things that refer to just reanimated models. And so you basically skip the rolling phase. So like the Ghost Ark just can uh, 
In your command phase, you can select one friendly Dynasty Necron Warriors unit within six inches of this model. If you do, up to D3 destroyed models from that unit reanimate. Each unit can only be selected for this ability once per phase. So yeah, if you have a Ghost Arc, you can just, like, it doesn't, they didn't have to be destroyed this turn. You just, like, bring back three models. So there are ways to recover, you, you know, models outside of being shot at or in the fight phase. And that will be useful, especially against psychic armies, because you'll notice it's, it's, it's not when they lose models, it's shot or fight. So psychic armies still have a bit of an edge against Necrons, because if you smite a unit of Necron warriors, they don't get back up. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that is also super fitting, because the Eldar were the ones who were very psychically active and were the ones that, I guess, knocked the Necrons down a peg. Right, and it also, like, in addition, it makes sense the Necrons are very focused on let's shut down the warp, because that's kind of storyline-wise what they're trying to do right now, is shut down this this whole warp thing is a problem, let's shut that down. (laughs) And, you know, the idea that, well, that's what they're weak against is, yeah, yeah, it makes, like, it's a great way to model that in the rules. Yep. Yeah. The other, then there's the other protocols to mention, which is command protocols. Uh, command protocols is is something I don't think we've ever quite seen in in 40k, and it's a little bit weird to describe. So, but I'm I'm just going to read this, and then we'll we'll talk we'll discuss it. If every unit from your army, not counting dynastic agents, which is your triarchs, satan shards, and unaligned units, are from the same dynasty, and you select a noble model to be your warlord. This unit is eligible to benefit from this ability and the following rules apply. And pretty much everything has, like almost everything has uh, command protocols, except for things like Satan. Um, After both sides are deployed, but before you have determined who will have the first turn, you must assign a different one of the command protocols below to each of the first five battle rounds and note this down secretly on your army roster. Uh, so there are yeah six protocols. You choose which one applies to each round of the game. So like round one, it'll be this. Round two, it's this. All the way up through round five. Uh, most games end after five rounds. If for any reason it would go to a round six, you use the... It's basically round five up. It uses the last one you select. At the start of each battle round... If any noble units from your army are on the battlefield, the command protocol you assign to that battle round becomes active for your army until the end of the battle round. Each command protocol is made up of two directives. When a command protocol becomes active for your army, reveal it to your opponent and select one of its directives. Until the assigned command protocol stops being active, while a unit that is eligible to benefit from this ability is within six inches of a friendly Necrons character model, not counting Satan shards, that unit benefits from the selected directive. If the battle lasts more than five rounds, then you use the last, the last one selected. So there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through here. First, a noble has to be your warlord. That's actually pretty easy. That's like all lords, overlords, pharaons, etc. are all noble. And they actually have rules that dictate the order in which they can be warlord. Like, if you have the Silent King, he has to be your warlord. Otherwise, if you have a Pharaon, he has to be your warlord. Then if you have an Overlord, he has to be your warlord. Then if you have a Lord, he has to be your warlord. And those all have the noble keyword. So basically, if you have a warlord that you would have to select otherwise, you uh, this kicks in. And then as long as a noble's on the board, that turn... All your characters basically have a six-inch bubble of do one of these two things. It's clunky. I don't know if I like it. 
I mean, we were talking earlier. This feels a little bit across between the like Ultramarine or the Space Marine protocols and also the um, Admech, where they choose but they have to roll type thing, or just mm-hmm. cycles one through the other. Right. I think with with uh, Mechanicus right now, it's you can either roll randomly or you can choose. But if you choose, you can't use the same one. Until you've used all of them. Yeah. And here you just choose, but you choose it at the beginning of the game, not knowing if it's going to be useful or not. Wait, yeah. You kind of have to build your battle plan around around this ahead of time. I like the concept of this because, you know, especially with the fluff of, like, the Necron Royal Courts and, like, the, the top-down, you know, org structure they have where, like, there is a very hierarchical society – it would make sense that they would go into a battle with, you know, with a, a rigid plan and like, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. That is a very robotic, analytical, structured way to approach a battle. The only concern that I have is it is sort of clunky, as we mentioned. There's a lot of caveats and it makes Necrons not nearly as new player friendly as they once were. Because, you know, there, once upon a time, you would pick up a Necron army and give it to a new player and be like, spray paint it gray, dry brush it silver, put warriors and an overlord on the table and go shoot and have fun. You know, and like that well, was really kind of like that was enough to get you started into the game and into the hobby. And th- adding this onto it, while I think it makes it adds more strategy to the to the army it makes it a little bit more difficult to just be able to like pick this army up and, and, and play it out of the box. And Kevin, I'll agree with you on that point, but I'll say that I think that time has passed for the Necrons. Cause I think that army still exists. It's called custodes where sure. you have a few models. You just buy the basic stuff, put a leader on there in your troops and you can play and they're very newbie friendly because they don't die really. Yeah. No, Which is, and I, to your point, what Necrons used to be. Yeah, and I don't, and I'm not even necessarily saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, it's kind of curious that we finally get them like included in an additional launch box. We get all of these new player friendly like boxes to get Necrons, and that's right when they decide to add, start adding in all these extra layers of strategy and things to it. It's just, I'm not okay, saying it's bad. It's just an interesting decision. <clears throat> It, it is a lot to dump onto to a new player. Yeah. Also, it like it's a very it seems like a very confusing way to say, okay, this turn your characters are going to have one of twelve effectively warlord trait aura abilities. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, and each one's like good for a different thing at a different time. So, for example. Uh, Protocol 1, Eternal Guardian, gives you benefits, like, either the first directive is, as long as you, your move, your model stood still, uh, you have light cover. Or directive 2, every time an enemy unit declares a charge against this unit, you can uh, hold steady or set to defend. You know, as though you were in a piece of terrain. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it's only if you're within six inches of a character that would kick off on that turn. Or... Number two, Sudden Storm, you either add one to the move characteristic of models in that unit, which is actually pretty good because a lot of Necron stuff moves five, so moving six for a turn, not bad. 
or if the unit's performing an action, they can still make range attacks and not fail the action. So, it, but the downside is you have to, if you want to make use of that, you have to have these units following around a character. Mm-hmm. Like, or the and, other way around. Or, yeah, a character following around the unit. But it, it's like, if we were trying to get away from Aura Hammer, which is kind of, you know, where we were in 8th edition, this is not a way to do that. Right. And, yeah, and all of these have, like, the third one is about range attacks. You're either improving the armor penetration on wound rolls of six or denying cover if you're within half range. Uh, fourth is the melee one. You either, your your melee attacks have a better armor penetration on a wound roll of six or add one to your strength if the unit charged was charged or heroically intervened. Five is... Uh, every time this unit uses its living metal ability, which is to just regain a lost wound, which like your character models have, or every time you make reanimation protocol rolls for the unit, reroll one of the dice. And then the last one is conquering tyrant, which is th- either three inches extra range on your aura abilities or uh, shoot when you fell back, but you have to take a penalty of one to hit. All right. It's interesting because Dennis mentioned that these are very similar to like the Space Marine tactical doctrines. And, you know, I, I wonder if this setup would have benefited. And, and I know why they didn't do it because they didn't want to have basically the same mechanic in another army. But I wonder if this would benefit from a like more rigid structure of like, oh, this protocol is in turn, you know, is available turn one. This protocol is turn two. And then like you don't really get to pick and choose. So, like, I, I can kind of see it both ways. It would make it easier to, like, manage if it if they were kind of set. And it's like, turn one is this one, turn two, turn three. Or, you know, or you had, like, some options, but they were kind of limited. Or, versus what they have now, which is completely customizable, which allows a lot more tactical depth, but is going to be... It allows you to create ways to tailor your army, like, depending on how you build it. And, like, okay... For example, I'm doing an all destroyer army. Turn one, I'm going to do sudden storm so I get the extra movement. Turn two, I'm going to do the shooting because I'll be within half range and I could ignore cover. And then turn four will be the melee one because I, or turn three will be melee because I should be in melee at that point. So like I can kind of see how it's going to stack up and you're going to find how it's going to like be used depending on like what, how you build your army. But there's just a lot of moving pieces. And like I said, I think for new players or players who are not familiar with how the Necron army plays. And because of all the new units, I I think there's a lot of people that don't know how the Necron army plays. Like it's, there's a learning curve. You're throwing in an extra like customization to it. That's gonna turn off or frustrate newer players, which I don't know. I, I, I I like that they have the options, but I think they have too many (laughs) is I guess what it kind of comes down to. I don't disagree with you, and I'm going to throw in an extra complication. If you are playing one of the six predefined dynasties, each one of them has a particular command protocol that they favor, and if that one's up, you get both both choices. Both You get, like, both directives instead of having to pick one. Now, the one uh, thing I do like is I do like that there are the two options for each directive because – or each protocol, because even if you mess up your game plan and you pick a protocol that's – not as useful. There's at least two options, one of which should always be like marginally useful. 
So like you never feel I don't feel like you're ever going to in a position where you've just completely missed out on using one of the two. But yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is. And when I read this, like the first thing that I thought of was actually Star Wars Armada, which, you know, is a fleet combat miniatures game. And in that game, at the beginning of the game, you send like you set up commands for your ships, like for your capital ships. But the larger ships, you know, can take multiple commands, but they can only take one command a turn and you have to like pre-select them. So like turn one, it'll be this, turn two, it'll be this, turn three, it'll be this. And there's no, like no real way to change that. Um, short of like not you, like if you take a command and then you don't use it and then you can kind of bank a weaker version of it for later. This is something kind of similar to that where it's like, yeah, you have to know what your game plan is and look at your opponents after you've deployed so you can look at what your opponent's doing and decide, okay, this is what this is the order I should go in. And there's some of them that are like so obviously meant for like later game, like the assault ones. Unless you're playing a really assault focused army, you might put those earlier. But like like the one that gives you light cover is like a really good choice for first turn because like if you go second, hey, now all my guys have cover now. Um, you know, stuff like that. So there's some that are obviously better for some times than others. Uh, and when I first looked at this and I looked at the dynastic codes, I was like, oh, well, you definitely want to pick one of these six dynastic codes because they key into this system, whereas like building your own dynasty doesn't. But the more and more I look at this system, because it is so clunky and because there's so many moving parts you have to use to get full effectiveness out of this, if you're not getting double directives, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it really isn't. But it it's also a very strong argument for buying the data cards if you're a Necron player. Yes, because you will need you'll you will need to have these out on cards because you've got to be able to reveal them. Like you have to have them stacked in order and reveal them to your opponent. So if I mean you could do them yourself on index cards because it's one of the only ways you're going to be able to keep track of everything too. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I will say the the set of cards for the Necrons especially like are really good like it is, yeah. there's a lot of because there's a lot of things between <laughs> the command protocols and like the satan powers and stuff like that that the cards are just super useful for yeah and one other thing to keep on my keep in mind with this is this is like a core thing that you will have to do you know for your army every game but there may be some games where it just does, it really has little to no effect Right. Because, like, unless you're, you have to build your army to maximize the usefulness of this to really get a lot out of it. So there may be some games where, oh, yeah, it, it helped this one unit this one time in this one turn. And after that, it really didn't matter. It's no, a I, lot of heavy lifting for that. I think, like, this is, this is where, like, from a competitive standpoint, like, if Necrons are going to become, like, a top-tier army and, like, win a big events, it's going to be because players have figured out how to pair this with their army build and maximize it. And I, I, I like the potential for it, but, man, it is really clunky for, like, just starting, you know, for, for trying to pick up and get used to. So I was reading the the roundtable discussion that Goonhammer did on this, and there was a, something they said, and I think it really clicked in on the. I, I really clicked for this for the army in general. The floor of this army, as far as like how 
how bad it can be has been raised a little bit because they've been given a lot of new tools. The mm-hmm. ceiling for this army is extremely high. Yes. The, 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 the difference between the top and bottom on this army is huge, and it is absolutely now a high-skill army. The Like you said, the players who figure this out and figure out how to maximize this without hurting themselves otherwise are going to do amazing things. Yeah. But it's going to be it, – it, it's like a chess game. It's easy to learn, hard to master kind of thing. Yeah. And, and one other thing is, unlike like Space Marines where we, ha- you know, they, we have the adaptive stratagem to, you know, uh, like, hey, for this turn, this unit has all the combat doctrines in play. There's nothing like that. There are no stratagems that let you swap these or rearrange them or count as being like everything for a turn or what have you. It's like you plug this in and that's it. This is how it this is how it's going to play out. So there's there's also like no forgiveness for messing for getting things in the wrong order. Right. So lots of places where you can go wrong with this, but at no point is it, are you really going to suffer a penalty? You just won't get necessarily all the buffs you want. So from there, now we've kind of set like this is is the the big thing. Again, I don't want to hit everything in this book. Uh, one thing I will say is the dynastic codes, which are basically your chapter tactics for Necrons, um, a number of them changed quite a bit. Uh, some of them are still, like, conceptually the same. Like, Nefrek gets translocation beams, which it's, uh gives them a six-up invulnerable save, and they can automatically advance six inches, but if they do, uh, they can't shoot. Uh, but they can move through units when they do. They can also move through units when they fall back, um, which they used to just have the uh, six-inch advance move through things. Novok, which was the close combat one, used to have a rerolled failed hits when they charge. Now they get plus one to their charge rolls and then plus one AP when charged were charged, uh, heroically intervened. Mefrit, which used to be or it used to just improve their armor penetration now also adds three inches to the range of their guns. Um, the one new one we got was uh, Zarakon, which is the dynasty that the silent King serves, which is funny because the silent King has the uh, dynastic agent trait or keyword, which means he can't actually get his own dynastic code. I don't know that he needed the extra rules though. <laughs> no, I don't think he does, but theirs is when they lose mortal wounds on a, on a five up, they don't lose a mortal wound. And so the, you know, five up feel no pain against mortal wounds. And then uh, when they shoot or fight, they can reroll one uh, to hit one wound roll. So they're kind of like salamanders in that regard, which I mean, is fine. However, we do get two pages on building your own dynasty dynasty. And this one is set up. Choose one from column a, choose one from column B, which is an interesting way to do the, you can't combine these two things. Right. <laughs> you know, to, so you don't, they can kind of keep like the really good stuff separate so they don't overlap. Uh, they do have an option called Vassal Kingdom, which is you just use one of the other dynastic codes, which I'm not sure why you would ever pick this when you can just pick one of those six dynastic codes. But I guess for flavor reasons. If you I, wanted to have your own one and have it be named your own thing. I, yeah, I guess I, for Crusade, that it would be. A, well, the, the only thing choice. I could think of would be if you're wanting to use uh, specific characters that have those dynastic codes, like those dynastic keywords, maybe. Mm. I don't know. That would maybe be the only way I could think of, but yeah. 
Except you wouldn't have that keyword. You'd have your yeah, own I guess keyword. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But the one that's the the pairing that's gotten a lot of attention, and, and most of these are are pretty pretty decent. Like like pitiless hunters basically gives them bolt gun discipline, where if the model yeah. stood still, they can fire rapid fire at full distance, or um like unyielding six up invulnerable save uh. Or add one to the charge rolls made for units with this code. So they've got some that are like pieces of the other ones. But the one that's gotten a lot of attention from... So you you pick one from Dynastic Tradition and one from Circumstances of Awakening. Dynastic Tradition that's gotten a lot of attention is Eternal Conquerors. Units with this code have objective secured. If a model in such unit already has this ability, such as any of your troops... That model counts as one additional model when determining control of an objective marker. Obsec with a dose or obsec with a dash of double obsec is really good in an objective focused edition. (laughs) And then that is getting paired with the circumstances of awakening of relentlessly expansionist at the start of the first battle round before the first turn begins units with this code, which is everything that isn't a Satan shard or a dynastic agent or the silent King, because he's a dynastic agent gets a six inch normal move, just a free move at the start of the game. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's, yeah, let, let me move these double obsec warriors up and, and sit on this objective to start with. Yeah. yeah. And Rob, you did say that, like, this is a six-inch move, which most of the normal moves is only five. That's right, so it's an extra inch of movement on top of what they would normally have. Which, all, I mean, it does also mean that if you have units like destroyers or such that have... that move more than six, it is going to be less than they might move otherwise. But a lot of those units tend to be more assault focused. So an extra six inches of movement doesn't hurt them in the least. Right. So, I mean, you can play really aggressively with that or just make up for your otherwise slow movement, grab objectives top of the game. Yeah. You can do a lot with that. And the fact that you don't key in with any of the command protocols does not affect you in the least in that regard. <laughs> um, and, and there's, there's other options like, Hey, if you want to build an army, that's more canoptic focused, they have one that makes your canoptic models, which would be like wraith scarabs, spiders, and some like the, like the, the reanimator and such, uh, they get an extra inch of movement and, uh, they can pile in four inches instead of three or consolidate oh, four nice. inches instead of three. Or one where you, if you rapid fire within 12 inches, you add one strength, you know, one to the weapon strength, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's some decent ones in here, but yeah, that mo- double obsec and move up is just such an obviously good combination. Better, it's better than anything, any of the, uh, the stock ones they give you. Yeah, for sure. Um, strats, the, a lot of the stratagems are very different. There are, there are some that like ran, resurrection protocols which is only one CP use the stratagem in any phase when a noble or a cryptex destroyed on a four up, it gets back up with D three wounds. I think that's similar to one they had before, mm-hmm. but uh, um, they have strats for dropping things out of monoliths. They have strats for allowing your, your locust destroyers, which is what they call the, the old school destroyers, let them uh, reroll wound rolls there's strats for making your one of your character making your overlord a pharaon so that he is now your warlord and he gets he can use my will be done an extra time per turn extra relics extra warlord trait 
You, uh, there's one for Technomancers that lets them use the rights of reanimation in additional time oh, nice. in the command phase. So, yeah, you can just keep bringing more models back. <laughs> Skipping ahead a bit, self-destruction is kind of an interesting one, where you basically, uh, you can use a Canoptic Scarab Swarm, which you're going to have plenty of in this ar- in this army. After the, during the fight phase, select one model in this unit. When the finish piling in, you can select one enemy unit within engagement range of that model. Roll a D6. On a 2 through 5, the enemy suffers D3 mortal wounds. On a 6, it suffers 3 mortal wounds. And then the Scarab Swarm is destroyed. So just being able to like blow automatically blow up a scarab swarm to like do mortal wounds is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, now, not a lot of these have uh, key into uh, war gear the way the Space Marine ones did. I think the only ones that really do there's one for quantum shielding, which mm-hmm. I do want to talk about that too because quantum shielding changed across the army. And it is instead of the way it used to be, which was the more damage you took from a single attack, the better, like you rolled a D6. And if it was under the amount of damage you took, you took no damage, which meant you had to like peel them away with bolt guns rather than like hit them with a melt gun or a las gun, which was annoying. Instead, it is now a five up invulnerable save and you can only wound them on four ups. Interesting. I I like it, but I think it's it still gives them resiliency, and it still basically makes it so that stronger weapons aren't as useful against them. Yeah. But it keeps it from being like your anti armor stuff is still going to be good at killing vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like you're not penalized for taking things. Dis- like you don't have to play backwards against uh, Necrons, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Then, then instead of having uh, Space Marine character upgrades, uh, they have Cryptarch Arcana, which, again, costs power. You know, it raises their power level, costs points to use. And these are basically things you can add on to Cryptex, kind of in lieu of psychic powers, because you don't have psychers. But they're like little mini relics that you can add on. Uh, each Cryptek can only have one item of Arcana. Army can't use the same item more than once. But they're not considered to be relics, so you can have a relic and an arcana. They're just, it's basically just a set of cryptic upgrades. Some of them are specific to particular kinds of cryptic. So, like, there's one for psychomancers only, one for chronomancers, one for plasmancers, two for technomancers, and then several that are just generic. So, like, one where, like, unless you are the closest model, you can't be targeted by ranged attacks. Or one that gives you dimensional translocation, which basically lets you deep strike. Or once per turn, the first time a saving throw is failed for the bear, the damage characteristic of that attack is changed to zero. <laughs> uh, but like, for example, the Technomancer we talked about earlier. Here's one. Technomancer model only for the Flactorine Hive. Once per battle, when a bear uses its rights of reanimation ability, you can select one friendly Dynasty Canoptic, Dynasty Destroyer Cult, or Triarch Praetorian unit to be affected instead of one friendly Dynasty Core unit. So you can just like once per battle bring back something that you shouldn't be able to bring back otherwise. So just just stuff like that, like just upgrades for, for them, which again kind of makes them feel like the old 5th edition uh, Cryptex, which we all really liked. Warlord traits, a lot of those are mostly the same with some slight tweaks here and there. 
Um, I haven't looked too closely at the relics, but I think a lot of them are are similar. And most, a lot of them are weapon replacements for like void sides or staffs of light or um, you know they're like you want to replace this on a cryptek with a staff of light or a lord or overlord with a staff of light. Uh, there are a few that are you know they have them that you know some that are dynasty specific as always, but. I mean, pretty standard relics as far as things go. Uh, the powers of the Satan have not changed a lot. Most of them are relatively similar. However, the three named Satan shards have their own special abilities that they always have. So, for example, uh, the Nightbringer, which we'll be talking about later, has the Gaze of Death. Select one enemy unit within nine inches of and visible to the Satan Shard. Roll 3d6 for each four up. The unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. But yeah, they're basically just different, not psychic power ranged attacks. And uh, most Satan Shards have, like, the Transcendent Satan, kind of like the generic one, has two powers from that and you can roll from them and uh you reroll duplicates so you're not stuck with one uh, whereas like the named ones have their fixed power and one extra and they're all you know they're all relatively nasty uh yeah, a lot of more their chapter approved rules so like their their secondary objectives uh eh, code of combat uh score three victory points at the end of the battle for each enemy unit that was destroyed by a necron's noble unit from your army so again they're between this and command protocols, they're kind of wanting you to play heavy on characters. Or uh, Battlefield Supremacy, Purge the Vermin. Score two victory points at the end of your turn for each table quarter that does not have any enemy units, excluding aircraft, wholly within it. You cannot score this the first battle round. So just kill things and keep them out of the table and get points. I mean, that that seems like one you could actually do pretty well with. Yeah. Then we get into Crusade Rules. Nothing quite as cool as being made into a uh, a dreadnought, although they do let you uh, turn one of your lords or overlords into a destroyer cult model. So, like, you can make it into a Scorpec lord or a, a locust lord. Oh, that's cool. And uh, then we get into data sheets. And again, a lot of, like, the older ones, I, I went through, and a lot of them are very similar. They're, they're slight tweaks. One thing I did notice is pretty much across the board, all the characters of Overlord rank or higher got an extra attack, like just in their That's base nice. stat line. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a much more melee friendly army, but uh, like for example, Imotech, who is no longer the big cheese for the for the uh, Necron army because that's the Silent <laughs> King now. His big thing is like his Flamestorm or like his Gauntlet of Fire is better because he's got better flamer range and it's it's basically a heavy flamer rather than a standard flamer. He lost his Blood Swarm Necroscarab, so he doesn't make Flayed Ones better anymore. Aww. Sorry. He also lost the Undying ability, so he doesn't heal D3 wounds anymore from his uh, Living Metal. He just heals one. But he does get you an extra command point if he's your Warlord. And his, his, his Lightning Bolt ability works a little bit differently, but not hugely. But yeah, like a, a lot of the characters, like, what they did before, they still pretty much do. Although I will say um, one that changed a lot was uh, Vanguard Oberon. Uh, Oberon used to, like, he had a ghost step mantle that would let you basically teleport him and a unit across the board, which mm-hmm. could be used to great effect. 
Uh, now he only teleports himself. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's a little disappointing. You could still have him be aggressive, then use it to get out of dodge, or have him teleport to an objective that is unmanned and needs help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, I mean it's still tactical. Yeah, but it, it's not nearly as great as being like him and true. a bunch yeah. of warriors jump across the board. Very right. true. <laughs> Let's see. Illuminor Zerus is basically using his stats or a tweaked version of stat block from Pariah, so he's still an anti-psyker, but also still augments Necron units. Um, Nemesaur Zandrek uh, used to shut down aura abilities. Now, once per game, he can just shut down a stratagem. Like your opponent, <laughs> like it's but your opponent declares they're going to use a stratagem, but before they spend the command points, he issues counter tactics once per game, and they they don't spend any command points, but they can't use the strat this turn. So he he's not as bad as Vect. He's not as bad as Vect, but it also is not on a roll or anything. It just automatically happens. True. Uh, the Royal Warden, like get some of the new characters, like the Royal Warden's a good like kind of lieutenant ish character he is not a noble so he's not going to help with any of the uh like the command protocols or anything like that let's see trays in the infinite uh illuminor Zerus, they are also dynastic agents so they don't get dynasty traits either let's see the scorpec lord which is your the the new like three-legged monster lord that was in uh, uh the, the indominus trailer. box uh he is just a nasty close combat beat stick uh, so is the Locust Lord. It just depends on if you want... They both move eight inches, just you want one that flies or not. They both have four up and vulnerables. They both reroll hit rolls of one. The Locust Lord has... I mean, they're really, they're... The Locust Lord is a bit cheaper. The Scorpec Lord is probably the better choice. Because, I mean, his weapons are just, in general, nastier. I mean, the difference is if you want... The Locust Lord does have the option for, like, a shooting attack. Well, I mean, so does the the Scorpec Lord. He's got an eighteen inch assault two D three. Yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, I guess he does have. Yeah, okay. That yeah, that's what like, I'm looking at him. That, like, yeah. mm-hmm. do you want? Well, that's the other thing. The Locust Lord start has just a staff of light, and you can trade it out for a Void Blade or a War Scythe. The Scorpec mm-hmm. Lord has the Enmitic Annihilator and a Flensing Claw and a Hyperface Harvester. He's like has yeah. all of those things already. Now he's yep, more expensive, fair. but I mean. It's the difference between 130 points and 100. Like if you t- let's say you took a Locust Lord with a War Scythe, it's 110 versus 130 points. I'll take. I'll spend 20 more points to get something that is just better all around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Catacomb Command Barge is still real a really good choice. It actually gained an extra. Let's see, it actually gained an extra wound and again an extra attack because they're all doing that and. I am so glad that the stupid chariot rules are gone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When they back in like sixth and seventh edition, the chariot rules made this thing damn near unplayable, and it is a much better choice now. It's it's and it's one of the hardiest characters you can drop into your army, and it's you know he's got the new quantum shielding available. Uh, it just a, like if you want to take a really sturdy, like Overlord style model. Catacomb Command Barge is a really good way to go. Uh, regular Overlord. Uh, we get our four um, Cryptek varieties, uh, two of which we don't have models for yet, but they're coming. <laughs> um, we've got the Technomancer, who we've talked about. Um, the Psychomancer, which uh, can basically utterly screw with a unit. 
So in your morale phase, you select an enemy unit within 12 inches of this model and roll 3d6 if it's greater than their leadership, which if they're within six inches of them, they subtract one from their leadership. Mm. If the result's greater than their leadership characteristics, select one of the results opposite to take effect until the start of your next morale phase. So it's going to affect their entire turn and then your entire turn. They can't perform actions, and if they're doing an action, they automatically fail. Ouch. Uh, They lose objective secured. They have their advance and charge rolls, or they cannot fight in the, they cannot fire overwatch or set to defend, and they always fight last in the fight phase. So, like I said, you can... That's some pretty good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you have to be within 12 inches of them, but, uh, I mean, the Psychomancer can can be pretty nasty. Um, The Chronomancer uh, has a 4-up and vulnerable save, and in your command phase, you pick a a friendly unit from your dynasty within 9 inches, and they get a 5-up and vulnerable, which that's just really solid, too. And the Plasmancer basically can cause mortal wounds uh, to an enemy, the closest enemy within 24 inches. If you didn't fall back, like on roll three D sixes for each four up the closest enemy within 24 inches of and visible to this model suffers one mortal wound. And at the start of the fight phase, if there are enemy units within six inches, uh, they suffer a mortal wound on a four up. So this, the plasmancer is like basically your smite equivalent. So again, these kind of <laughs> work like, uh, a little bit like psychers, but not exactly. Also, they all have the dynast- dynastic advisors ability. So if your army is battle forged, uh, then for each cryptech unit included in a detachment that also contains at least one noble, you can add a second cryptech without using up a battlefield slot. So you can kind of, kind of how you could load in like heralds in a demon army, you can load in uh, cryptechs into your army as well. Troops, they only have two choices uh, Necron warriors and immortals. That hasn't changed. However, for a long time, people were going with like small units of immortals because the gun, like the Tesla carbine was just on honestly a better option. Most of the time, just because the chance to get more shots, especially on overwatch. Well now, because automatic overwatch isn't a thing that kind of hurts them a little bit. And the other thing is Necron warriors reroll reanimation protocols of one, which means they're even more likely to get back up. Right. So, like, Necron Warriors are, like, the core troop choice to take. Which is nice, because that's what Necrons are, air quote, known for, is the many warriors that keep sticking around and not going away. Right. Yeah. And so, that's what I'm saying. Like, units of 20 warriors are not a bad choice in this army. Because, like, a blob of them is going to be really hard to shift, especially if you have a couple of overlords, each with, like, a res orb. To just, oh, don't, mm, yeah, just no, to like, oh no. yeah, you've got them whittled down, but unless you wipe the unit, they could all, like, a good chunk of them could get back up. I don't like that idea. <laughs> I don't think they want you to like that idea, <laughs> but be ready to deal with it if you play against Necrons. Yeah. And Immortals, I mean, so Immortals, the trade-off there is, whereas Necron Warriors are more likely to get up, Immortals are less likely to fall down. Because they ha- they they've always had a three up save. They also now have an extra toughness, so they're T five, oh, wow. three up, but they're still only one wound each, which also means they reanimate easier. Yeah, but T right. five. Yeah. So it's like, do you want more numerous troops that are more troops. likely to get back up, or do you want yeah hardier troops that are less likely to fall down? Canoptic reanimators. We talked about them. The Downside on the, on them is they're kind of flimsy. 
I mean, they've got a three up save, but they're tough five, six wounds and very, very tall. <laughs> it's very easy to get line of sight on these guys. Hexmark Destroyer is one of the, the new units, old six eyes there with his six pistols. And every, if he destroys an enemy model with one of his pistols, it the basically the shot explodes and he can make another attack. So he could get up to... He's got a ballistic skill of two and it's strength six. So with some good rolls against, uh, you know, one wound models, like you could easily get like 10, 12 attacks out of him. And he can deep strike in because he's basically... Uh, he's a death mark that went crazy. Er. <laughs> um, Lich Guard... Uh, they're still sturdy T5, two wound. Uh, their big thing is their dispersion shield. Uh, it works like a storm shield. Now it's a four up invuln and adds one to their armor save. So Lich Guard are T5, two wound, two up if they have dispersion shields, which you really should run them with dispersion shields. I think, uh, I have seen a lot. Of, I mean, war si- don't sleep on war sides. Like, uh, strength- no, war, war sides are, war sides are still good. Yeah. Yeah, strength seven, strength seven, AP minus four, and three attacks per model uh, will get worked on against heavy targets. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I I like the dispersion shields. I I have in the past always liked the dispersion shields before, and like it it kind of frustrated me that the other build was just usually seen as being better, and mm. and. Now this, I think this is finally a good balance of offense or defense, like which one you're going for. It, it you know, yeah. they're both more valid options. I, I used to run a group of 10 with the, uh, hyperface sword and the dispersion shields and kind of run them as like my bodyguard for my overlord. Um, and then I also would have the, uh, I don't remember if it's still there, but like there was the, uh, is the veil of time where you could basically just pick them up and deep strike them across the table uh, once per game, which was super fun to like be able to just drop this brick unit in that people couldn't deal with. But yeah, the their Lich Guard are a really good option and their core, which is nice. Yeah, and the veil of darkness is still a thing in the game, so they can okay. still take that. Death marks are still in uh, their their old etheric uh, interception rule is now a stratagem. Uh, which means, you know, it costs you CP to do it. Also, it affects basically anything with the hyperspace hunter keyword, which does include the Hexmark Destroyer. So if you want to deep strike him in, you can. But their main thing is they can be set into deep strike. And their guns went from rapid fire, to like a 24-inch rapid fire 1, strength 4, AP 0, to a heavy 1, 36-inch, strength 5, AP minus 2. Which I think fits a sniper-style weapon better. More mm-hmm. range, uh, penalty if you move, and uh, but it's a, it still has the sniper ability of ignoring lookout, sir, and causing mortal wounds on a wound roll of six. So I think they're they're a little bit more focused on what they're meant to do, which is killing characters or or things that uh, drop in out of deep strike. Mm-hmm. Um, flayed ones, flayed ones. I think are just better than they were <laughs> like they they always had an ability to deep strike they still have that um and their flare claws are minus one ap they don't re-roll wounds anymore but they also cause additional hits on attack rolls of six against non-vehicles i like that that makes sense 
And they well, they are cause uh, if they're within three inches of an enemy unit, they subtract two from leadership, whereas they used to only subtract one. So they're even creepier and scarier next to be next to. Well, and that's going to pair really well with like the psychomancer. Like I think, I think you're going to see if, if you see these, you're going to see those paired with psychomancers to really just mess with uh, mess with leadership on on groups. Yeah, but played ones are fun. I, I can't wait till we get the new models. Yeah. Yep. Um, crypto thralls are basically little cryptic assistants that you can uh, include that just uh, make uh, that get better if they're near a cryptic and people can't target the cryptic as long as the crypto thralls are within three inches of them. Um, then we get into some more melee we- melee units like the Scorpec destroyers, which are just nasty. It basically just a smaller version of the Scorpec Lord but without any shooting attacks. But they're three attacks base. They come equipped with hyperphase threshers, which give them an additional attack every time they fight. They come in units of three, just like they were in Indominus. They reroll hit rolls of one with a uh, weapon skill of three up. So, yeah. Then they're already strength five, T5, three wound models. So, yeah, Scorpic Destroyers are a really good uh, melee choice. Canoptic plasma sites are there to make your destroyer cult stuff better. They just kind of follow them around and uh, basically uh, uh, enemy units can't target them as long as the destroyer is nearby. And uh, once they can basically make a uh, destroyer cult unit explode into death, select one final once per turn at the start of either your charge or fight phasing, select one friendly dynasty destroyer cult unit within three inches. If you do, roll a d6. On a one, the model is destroyed. Regardless of the result, until the end of the turn, add one to the strength and attacks characteristics of models in that unit. Which, <laughs> it's it's a really cool ability. I don't know about the being willing to blow up one of them to make the rest of them good, because their units are already going to be relatively small. Yeah, and it's tough but, to, like, on a one, give up a three-wound model, like, for some extra attacks. But... Right. And because it's not when an enemy unit is fighting you, you wouldn't get a reanimation protocol on them either. So, there's that. Um, Triarch Stalkers are pretty much the same. However, Satan Shards are not. <laughs> um, all the Satan shards went up in point cost and in power level. They're all rocking in at 18 power, except for the transcendent, the generic transcendent Satan's only 14. But like the Deceiver, that like so their stat line, like the Deceiver lost a strength, but gained a wound, gained an attack. He can still do the Grand Illusion where you like redeploy some. Uh, Necron armies from your, you know, on the table. Um, whenever you try to hit him, you're at minus one to hit because of misdirection. But the important thing is the Necrodermis ability that he has and that all the Satan have. Necrodermis gives them a four up invuln save, which they had before, but also they can never lose more than three wounds a phase. So kind of like how uh, Gazgol can't lose more than four wounds a phase. Right. How unless you're fighting against the Satan Shard of the Nightbringer, and there's a reason I, that this guy's already starting to show up in competitive lists. So he's still strength seven, tough seven, nine wounds, six attacks instead of what he had before, which was four. His scythe has two different modes. 
Uh, one is either Reaping Sweep, which is, uses his strength of seven, which is still great. AP minus three, one damage, and you make two hit rolls per attack instead of one. So that's for clearing out units. And so you're going to do like 12 mm-hmm. attacks with that. Or Entropic Blow, which is strength 14, AP minus four, D6 damage, and you can't make invulnerable saves against it. And that's not even the best part. <laughs> Drain wait, life. Each more. time this model makes a melee attack that's allocated to an enemy model, that enemy model cannot use any rules to ignore the wounds it loses. <laughs> <sighs> so we found somebody who can one-shot Gasgol. Yep. Right. Or other Satan, for that matter. He's just obnoxiously powerful. And then, yeah, he's got his Gaze of Death power and then one other Satan Shard power. And then we have the Void Dragon, which is the new boy on the on the block. His thing is he hates vehicles, which makes sense considering the, the whole thing about the old... Like in the old, old Necron lore, the Void Dragon was, what, like hidden underneath Mars and was talking to the uh, Mechanicus. I don't yeah. think that's the case anymore, but he still hates vehicles. <laughs> So he's got a matter absorption ability. At the end of each phase, roll 1d6 for each enemy vehicle model destroyed as a result of an attack made by this model or a satan power used by the model. For each two up, the model regains one lost wound to a maximum of three regained wounds per phase. So he kills vehicles and heals. And then his attacks are uh, Spear of the Void Dragon, which is a heavy one, 12-inch range, strength 9, AP minus 4, d6, Each time an attack is made with this weapon, if a hit is scored, draw a straight line between the closest point on this model's base or hull and that of the closest model in the target unit. Make one wound roll against the target unit, and each other unit the line passes over. Each time an attack made with this weapon is allocated to a vehicle model, it's D3 plus 3, so it'll never be worse than 4 damage. (laughs) Or in melee, the spear, uh, just, it's Makes him strength nine, AP minus four DC. It's the same stat line, except and then has the same ant against vehicles rule. Satan shard of the void dragon hates vehicles. Wants them dead. Wants to eat them up. Yum yum yum. I get a very like strong like Mortarian vibe off of him with like the like being able to draw the line of shooting and and uh, he has things where he gets extra attacks and like just can mess things up. Like uh, he's he's gonna be a fun one. <laughs> And then uh, his his Satan Shard power, which I think is important to know, is Voltaic Storm. Select an enemy unit within 18 inches of the of and visible to the Satan Shard. Enemy character with the wounds characteristic of nine or less cannot be selected. Well, it's been three inches. So basically the same lookout sir ability. Roll 1d6. On a two-up, that unit suffers d3 mortal, mortal wounds. It suffers d6 mortal wounds if it's a vehicle. And until the start of your next turn, if that unit is a vehicle whose characteristics change as it loses its wounds, it halves the number of wounds it has remaining when determining what characteristics to use. So if you have a degrading stat line, you deg- you are treated as being way degraded. So, oh no, so I, I do have a question, and I, and I, because I, I know this will come up. When he uses that ability, compared to like, and I forget the name of the, the night house that basically says you always use your top stat line. Like, which would come into play? Like, which would take priority with those? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if there's a rare rules interaction for that. I will check. Briefly. Yeah. And actually, they put those in all the rule books now. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, typically, because, like, this would happen, this happens on your turn, obviously, since you're enacting it. 
So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it would necessarily, like, this would override the ability for the the model itself or, you know, yeah, I I don't know. I just think it's a very interesting rules interaction because I think that will definitely, uh, how that that plays out will definitely determine, like, how good this ability is because if you have the ability to take an Imperial Knight for the Taos, whatever, I always use the top stat line. And or somebody spends the points on a stratagem to like, no, I use I'm going to use the top stat line and then you can hit them with that and knock them back down. That's that's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see how fit because you use the Satan powers at the end of your movement phase. So what's the see what the duration on that is until the start of your next turn. So it would be the rest of that turn and then all of their next turn. Right. So if they had a, a like a ha- house Hawkshroud ability. Yeah, Hawkshroud, thank you. I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> At least I, I believe that's it. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, then, yeah, technically on your turn, like you do that in your movement phase, and then if you fought them in the fight phase, their weapon and ballistic skill and and movement would be lowered. But on their turn, I think it would come back up because they would double it. So... Because I think their turn it would take priority. But we'll have to see what... I, I imagine they'll have to issue an FAQ for that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have to see how they rule that. Yeah, yeah. But I just think that's a very interesting interaction because that... How they rule that could determine whether this is a neat ability that has limited utility or if it is a Nightbringer level like, oh, this can really mess things up. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, of the three named Satan Shards, the Nightbringer is just good all around at everything. Yeah. And he's the one you're definitely going to see on tables more often. Some people have the Void Dragon one just because it's a slick-ass model. Oh, I love the model. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you've got the you know, you've got your Canoptic Spiders and Scarab Swarms. Aphidian Destroyers, which are your, um, your new, like, Snake Tail Destroyers, which are kind of like wraiths but also destroyers they're not they're not bad um i think it's interesting that they don't replace wraiths they like both of them have slightly different niches mm. well they wanted to give and and i like this they wanted to give a destroyer option for like all of the different slots except for troops obviously but like you now have destroyer lords fast attack elites heavy so you can build out a full destroyer cult army if you wanted to and kind of have options for every every choice and then the same thing with the canoptic stuff you have canoptic wraiths and spiders and all of these options that you can build a full canoptic army and fill in most of your slots as well so i i like it i i don't think they're as good as the uh scorpec destroyers and i don't think they're as good as canoptic wraiths but they're also not nearly as expensive. So, right. If you wanted to build a melee, you know, a, a solid melee unit, then uh, you know they're they're a good option. And I like I think the Aphidian destroyers I, I think can put out more attacks, but and they hit more often because they've got better a uh, better weapon skill. But they're also slightly less resilient because they don't have the invulnerable save and they don't have the extra toughness. So it's, yeah, it really comes down to, do you want to play Destroyers, or do you want something that just puts out more attacks, but is more likely to die, and at three wounds, it's going to be hard to re- to reanimate? Or do you want to have Wraiths, 
which put out fewer attacks but can move through things and are more resilient because of the four up in Vuln, but also don't hit as often, but have a little bit more movement. It, it really, it, it's flavor to taste. And that's good. It's good to have a couple of things that are competing, but don't automatically have a better option yeah. within this slot. Tomb Blades are pretty much the same as they were before. They're still a very good choice. Triarch Praetorians, they moved slots. They used to be elites. They are now fast attacks. They have an extra attack each. Rod of the Covenant is pretty much the same. Although no, actually, it does more. It does one more damage. They're they're a little bit a little bit meaner, but they also can't get any of the dynastic codes because they are dynastic agents. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, Canop- Canoptic Spiders actually moved because they used to be uh, heavy support, and now they are elites also. So some things have kind of bounced around uh, slots a little bit, and we get into. Um, the heavy support stuff, Annihilation Barges and Doomsday Arcs, relatively similar. The weapons are pretty much the same as they were before. Their stat lines degrade pretty much the same way as they did before. They haven't really changed. Annihilation Barges have, a f- like, the Twin Tesla Destructor has two more shots. But otherwise, yeah, those units are pretty much the same. Locust Destroyers and Locust Heavy Destroyers are your placements for what used to be destroyers and heavy destroyers. And you can still drop a heavy destroyer, a single heavy destroyer into a regular destroyer unit. Uh, the guns are like the Goss destructor that the heavy destroyer is carrying is really nasty. Strength 10 AP minus four, three D three damage, yeah. or they can swap it out for a heavy three D three strength seven AP minus one, uh, one damage blast. And even though they count as infantry, they don't suffer any penalties for moving and firing heavy weapons. The Canoptic Doomstalker is another, that's one of their other new units. And it's basically a do a variant. It's, it's basically the Doomsday Cannon that's on the Doomsday Arc on a Canoptic body. And if, and it can actually fire Overwatch every time it's charged. Or no, say, I take that back. It can fire Overwatch when you charge a, so it can fire Overwatch for other dynasty or dynastic agent models. So it can mm-hmm. kind of guard them with the, uh, well, with the twin Goss Flare, it can't Overwatch, you can't Overwatch with uh, blast weapons, can you? Nope. It's a cheaper option than the Doomsday Arc. I don't know if it, but it also has one worse, uh, or, yeah, it's weapons, or it's ballistic skill is worse, but it also never degrades. So if you uh, want. A no, Canoptic Construct. Does. What? The Doomstalker will... Uh, I guess... Yeah, it's weapon skill degrades. Or sorry, ballis- I meant ballistic skill, sorry. Oh, yeah, I guess... Sorry, yeah, ballistic skill, I guess, doesn't Cause, degrade. Because the All Doomsday right. Arc starts at 3-up, but drops to 5-up eventually, whereas yeah, the Doomstalker okay. is always 4-up. Um, yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. I, honestly, it, it's like, if you already have Doomsday Arcs, I think you're fine with keeping them. Mm-hmm. The main question would be points... Doomsday Arc's 190, Doomstalker's 140. So it's like, do you want a Death Ray, do you want a Doomsday Blaster in your army? It's cheaper to take the uh, Doomstalker. Although the Doomstalker also has less range. It's uh, The high power range for the Doomsday Arc is 72 inches compared to 48 inches, which honestly in a smaller table, 48 inches is still fine. You're going to hit just right. about anything anyway. Also, it so, depends how War of the Worlds you want to go with your army. So Yeah. 
Yeah, again, flavor for taste. That's a good choice to have. <laughs> Ghost arcs, doom scythes are relatively the same. Night scythes are interesting because they are now just transports. They don't do the weird translocation beam anymore where you have stuff in deep strike reserve and then it can beam units from reserve onto the table. Just know this night scythe has up to 20 infantry units inside or 20 infantry models inside and it will just drop them off like a normal transport. 20 20 transport capacity is pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the the Lords of War um, which the monolith is now a Lord of War, and I don't know if I like that, sh- moving that into that slot. I mean, it's on par with the obelisk and Tesseract Vault, and they gave it, like, they gave it more wounds, and it's got better guns than it used to, but I don't know if moving it to the, making it harder to take by putting it in a Lord of War slot is a good choice for it. Yeah. It's also, like, 90 points more expensive, which is the cost of, mm. uh, getting four extra wounds and better guns. It sounds like a wash, but like you said, the Lord of War slot, unless you want like a doomsday thing where you have like two obelisks and one of the Tesseract vaults and make a super heavy detachment. Yeah. Well, and the problem is they're like the monolith is the cheapest of them at 360 points. Well, it's about night cost, right? Yeah. Obelisks is 370. Um, Tesseract Vault is 500, but that's because it also has Satan inside, who is easier to kill than a normal Satan because he doesn't have Necrodermis. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> posit that while these are like on par with like a knight, cost of a knight super heavy army, if you took a super heavy like detachment of Necrons and an equivalent super heavy detachment of knights, uh, you will get pantsed <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the obelisk is still only really good at at hurting flyers and aircraft. The tesseract vault is a way to put a satan into your Lord of War slot, but I don't think it's necessarily a a good choice compared to just taking a satan. Yeah, I mean the benefits some of the powers of the satans like get like do more damage or are a little bit more reliable if they're in a tesseract vault. But I don't think that the trade-offs are worth it because I think, I think if you're going to take one or two Satans, you're better taking the named ones because you're getting better powers. Yeah. And this would be beneficial as like the third or fourth Satan you're taking. But at that point, like, are you taking four detachments in an army? Probably not. <laughs> right. Because that's the other thing is Satan shards are limited to one per detachment. Right. So it's like, you're, I doubt you're ever going to take enough. In a normal game, maybe in an APOC game, but like in a normal game where I don't think it would be the best use. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I really don't feel like moving monoliths to a heavy support or from heavy support to Lord of War did them any favors. Yeah. And there's already plenty of good heavy support choices in the list. I guess it moves them out of the competition, but... Of course, most of the dynastic traits don't really benefit uh, a monolith anyway. So doing a super heavy auxiliary doesn't really hurt it too much because it's still going to have a dynasty keyword. So like it'll still work with the other things in your army. It just won't get the it won't yeah. get, gain the benefit. I don't because it's just uh, let's see. Do they, well, I may be thinking how things used to be. Let's see. 
A Necron detachment is one that includes only models with a Necron keyword. I forget if the super heavy detachment says it'll never gain army specific abilities, but even if it doesn't gain access to the dynastic codes, I don't think it's a, if you just wanted to splash in one monolith, it, you could do it that way. I just honestly think there's better ways to spend the points in this army. Yeah, agreed. It really sucks yeah, because probably. the new monolith model is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it is kind of like an iconic sort of Necron model as it has been around for a long time. Yeah, it, it's it's like one of those – like it was like the biggest, scariest thing on the table for a good chunk of, of the army's history. And now it's just – it's a neat-looking model, but I'd be curious to see if someone can make good use out of it. I, I don't want to say it's automatically a bad choice. I just don't know – if it's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the big boy himself, the silent King who does have the Supreme commander keyword, which means he can be in a Supreme command detachment all by his lonesome Woo-hoo. coming in at 23 power and uh, 450 points. He's got 16 wounds. He moves eight inches along with his two, uh, Men here that kind of move along and also move uh, eight inches. Weapon skill and ballistic skill, two up. Strength, five. Tough, seven. He has a four up and vulnerable save. He has, like, extra guys with him. If he And basically for every, once he's down to eight wounds, he loses one of the two of them. Because basically it's like, he's got the Pharaon of Stars and Pharaon of Blades. If he has eight or fewer wounds remaining, he cannot use the Pharaon of Stars ability. If he has four fewer wounds remaining, he cannot use the Pharaon of Blades ability. And each of them also, it represents each of those guys having their own attacks because you lose those close combat attacks also because like the, the Staff of Stars has like, is a like you make three additional attacks with the weapon whenever you attack and the Scythe of Dust, you make four additional attacks with that one when you attack. So it's this weird kind of, Way it's kind of like the triumph of Saint Catherine to represent mm-hmm. a single unit that is a single thing, a single modeled sort of technically that is supposed to have multiple people on it that do different things. But uh, so basically, there's yeah, you've got the Silent King who has his scepter of eternal glory, which itself is pretty nasty. He in melee, it's strength nine, AP minus three, two damage. In shooting, it's 24-inch Assault 3, Strength 8, AP minus 3, 2 damage. He can uh, attempt to deny a Psychic Powers if he were a Psyker. Uh, at the start of the fight phase, if you, any enemy units in engagement range with him have to fight last. He's got a 6-inch Aura, the, the Pharaoh of Stars ability. Uh, Necron Core, Triarch, Praetorian units within 6 inches can re-roll uh, failed ranged hit rolls. Pharaoh of Blades says uh, same thing for rerolling wound rolls with melee attacks. He's got my will be done. He's a Pharaoh, so he can use it twice. Uh, once per battle at the start of any battle round, if Zarak is on the battlefield, he can alter your command protocols. If he does, the command protocol that you did not assign to any battle round. So basically, you use five of the six. He can use the sixth one instead if he decide. You know, if he decides that one would work better. Um, as long as he's got any of the, the triarchal men here's, which are these two monoliths, not to be mistaken with real monoliths, but these two standing stones that float near him. Um, while the unit contains any of those, it 
Uh, it does not count as a character for the lookout serve rule. And each time an attack successfully wounds the unit, it must be put on one of the men here's. You ignore the men here's for morale. If Zarek himself is ever destroyed, um, the men here's are also destroyed. He has to be your warlord, but you get three extra command points for having him as your warlord. Oh, nice. And he also explodes if he dies. <laughs> so basically, he is a giant aura machine that also... Oh, and the men here themselves have annihilator beams, which are 36-inch, heavy 1, strength 12, AP minus 4, damage 6. Not D6, <laughs> 6. And he's got two of those. Ow. He will melt things. Yeah, he absolutely nasty. will melt things. <laughs> So, like, the Silent King is all things to all people. Like, do you need a buff character? He's a buff character. Do you need something that is nasty shooting? He can do nasty shooting. Do you need a nasty assault unit? He can be that, too. He's got living metal, so he's going to heal a wound every turn. And technically, so do the men here. Because they... Well, because the entire unit has the living metal keyword. So, yeah, like... Now, the men here only have five wounds each, so they're a bit easier to deal with, but they also have a, you know, tough seven, five wounds, four up in Vuln, heal one wound a turn. I mean, that that's worthy of 500 points right there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then the uh, Convergence of Dominion, which is the new fortification they get, which they have to be set up within 12 inches of each other. Um, while command protocol, they basically count as like being nobles for the purpose of they have, they give off the aura for your command protocols. Okay. Uh, they have the star cell keyword or star cell keyword. While there are any star cell units from your army on the battlefield, cryptic units in your army can attempt the following action, activate translocation protocols, um, select one of the star cell units and remove it from the battlefield in the reinforcement step of your next movement phase set it back. So basically you can pull these things off the board and drop them back in. Yeah. If you have a cryptic nearby one of them. And they have to do an action to do it. And it, Which, yeah. That's pretty cool. Which I mean if you if you don't care about shooting with your cryptic, that's fine. Yeah, and it gives more thing to just actions rather than just being objective things. Right. Yeah. But it's also, you know, it's a good way it's like, hey, I want to keep one of these on the table on my turn. For its aura, you know, for, for putting out the, the command protocol aura, I will just teleport it away. And then you can just, then you just deep strike it down somewhere. So it doesn't even have to come back in the same spot. It's an, it's an interesting set of fortifications. And it costs, also I want to thank the point section for being much easier to do now. It's 120 points for the three of them. That's not bad. And it's a, it's a good way to actually make the command protocols do something. So, Yeah. And that's the book. I mean, that that's everything. Uh, point. If you look at point costs, some went up. Like the Satan shards all got way more expensive, but they're way nastier. Warriors are a little bit more expensive because they've they're harder to Do kill. More. Immortals are a little bit a little bit more expensive. Net monoliths are much more expensive. Cryptechs on average are cheaper than the old cryptech were by about five to fifteen points. Um, wraiths are cheaper because they're not as resilient. Tomb Blades are more expensive because they're just that good. Some of the characters, it's pretty much a wash. Like, Anrakir went up 10 points, but Oberon went down 20, probably because he doesn't teleport anybody with him anymore. Heavy Destroyers got more expensive. Regular Destroyers did not. 
Lich Guard got a little bit cheaper. Uh, I mean, it, it like I said, it there's not, and, and this is compared to the costs in Chapter Approved, not the old Codex. Right. So like everything's already gotten its ninth edition price bump. This is these changes are on top of that. But honestly, I think the army like as, as it's not going to the the point costs are gonna aren't gonna change up how you would play the army that much. What's gonna change up the army is how you want to build it. This is a much more flexible Necron army than we've ever seen before. Yeah, there's a ton more options, which I which I like. Yeah, and it and it's options across, but there's more shooting options, a lot more assault options. A lot more uh, special ability, uh, like support options with all the different cryptex and the arcana they can take. The, even like more options with Satan shards. More, It's just like, yeah, there's just more to do with this. And whether you're using like a stock dynasty or a roll your own, uh, it really, it, it because it is a high skill army now, it is going to reward people who can find a particular bill that give build that gives them the the tricks that they want and being able to really do something interesting with it. So I really like this iteration of Necrons. There's there's parts that I think are clunky. I still don't know if I like command protocols. Um I think reanimation protocols aren't as slick as they used to be, but I think overall they're better f- at depicting what games workshop like, I think this is the best combination of fluff and mechanics they've had, whether it, it's the best mechanic on the table we have yet to see, but I, I do like it better than just giving them a feel no pain. Cause I think it, it does actually, it, it does something different than feel no pain. I don't want Necrons just feel like Death Guard, but not. <laughs> sure. No, and I, and I get yeah. that. And I, I, I understand making that change, but I, I, I still can't help but feel that at least at this point the presentation is very clunky. But like mm-hmm. I said, maybe once we maybe once it plays on the table, it won't it won't be as problematic. Yeah, and I, I think it, people will get used to it. Um, but yeah, definitely an, uh, an army where you'll want to buy the the deck that has the cards for your command protocols and all the powers of the Satan and, and things like that. You'll definitely want to have those available. But I'm looking forward to not just seeing the same Necron army over and over again when people play Necrons, which is good. It's like I'm I want to see Necron assaulty armies. I want to see people doing things with with Satan shards again. I like I want to see these different builds. And so I think I think this is the book that could actually do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it? Does it change up like how you would build like, you know, Kevin and Richard, you're both working on. I know, Richard, you're mostly like the wow, new wow, cool models mode right now. But. <laughs> yeah, no, the the way I'm looking at it, uh, I do actually uh, like I am excited for the potential of having a, a more melee uh, centric army. Yeah, same here. Like the, the fact that you can go full in on destroyers and like make you know, an entire destroyer cult art, like assault army, like is super cool. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so, so many different flavors and, and, and like, I'm looking at the, uh, the Goonhammer review and they're like some of the lists, like a silver tide army, which is just lots of warriors and wraiths and destroyers or something that uses the, uh, silent King and some doom stalkers and like is doing lots of like death rays and things like that. It's like, there's, there's, already like just fun ways you can build this and not have to you know not fall into the 
it's one of those armies where I don't think there's necessarily like one best thing in all the categories. So that's except for maybe the Satan shard of the Nightbringer. That that is mm-hmm. definitely the best of the Satan. But <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, just the oh yeah, things that ignore the wound can't be. Which also means feel no pain doesn't work. Yeah. Because mm. it it yeah. Because feel no pain isn't a save; it negates the wound. So. Night, Nightbringer also eats Death Guard alive. <laughs> or just tells them you're going to feel this. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to feel all of this pain. You're going to feel all the pain, yeah. So, I, I take it thoughts on this one are pretty positive? Yeah. I I think it sounds pretty positive. It, it Like you said, it's going to be interesting. And I think, I mean, we've said this is not for a new player. It actually might be if you wanted to go on this long term. Because... There's a lot to learn, figure out, try, retry, build differently. So this, I mean, I'll go to the video game thing. This army has a lot of replayability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, there's a lot of tinkering that you can do with this. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm especially excited for that because for almost all of 8th edition, this was a very static, like, one or two build army, and even it wasn't a great build. So now all of a sudden, like, I look at the list of units and I'm like, oh, I could see going heavy on this or going heavy on this or going this way. And that's exciting is that I think you're going to see a lot more variety in Necrons going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's time to start wrap things up. So we'll wrap it up uh, first off with hobby progress. And I actually did some stuff. I I finally built the uh, 10 Assault Intercessors from Indomitus. Uh, including clipping off their their shoulder pads and replacing them with uh, Blood Angel shoulder pads, which was harder than I thought it might be, but not as bad. Also, it's it's a weird process to get those mm-hmm. like because the sol- shoulders like have to slot over pegs. Like you have to be careful how much you cut them down so that so you don't cut away the part that would actually hold them together. But uh, through trial and error, I got that done. And then I, I will be getting back into painting next week, but until then, I went ahead and made a small KR order to actually have cases for my Blood Angel <laughs> stuff. Oh, I know that feeling. In, in red foam, no less. Not pink nice. foam, hopefully. Red foam. I, I got picked <laughs> the dark red foam. So I ordered so much when I did my last big order before the move that I just said, make it all the default. Well, yeah, the default's the easier way, but this, I, like, yeah. it was, it was worth the, the extra few dollars per case. I, I got two cases of that, and then, like, actually got a case for my bolt action stuff, too, which all fits into, like, one KR box. So, and then I went ahead and ordered them all in the backpack, since my, my Kaiser 3, the, f- the bottom of the front pocket has completely torn open, so it doesn't, it isn't oh, wow. really a pocket anymore. So I figured it, it's a good time to replace it with a backpack, so... <laughs> for you know the days when we can actually take armies to places again yeah i'm planning for the future yes oh yes i'll tap in next um i'm gonna actually put questions to you guys and the listeners i have actually hit a couple of roadblocks so i have not gotten really much painting done um the first one is very very silly um one of the models since i'm working on an underworlds warhammer underworlds army for the little skirmish game and they've got a bow and they've got a glove well and i don't want the bow and glove to be the same color 
And then I got stuck on that, and I, I haven't been able to move forward on that painting that squad until I resolve in my head what color to make the glove. And so, have you guys ever had like color quandaries that just stump you and just put you on hold? Yeah, I definitely have. I, I like I'll have a color scheme that I've already like established on on smaller, you know, on like troop models and stuff like that, but then adapting that color scheme up to more complicated models, especially like tanks oftentimes make me like get kind of stuck and not sure how to do. And then I guess, how, how do you get around that or do you just, uh, I, I <laughs> d- it, it's one of those kind of art things that I've had to, had to kind of, took a long time to learn but it it, it's just kind of that like just try something just do okay yeah i probably just need to get to the just do i I, i'm going to ask is this the uh the snake archer from morgwaith's coven yes yes yeah so um the model like the way they they painted their like sample models her bow has more of like a bluish color yeah, I wanted a woodish looking bow. Okay, and, and <laughs> I think, but and like, are you also doing the gloves in a similar brown I leather? I wanted to, but I'm leaning towards red. What looked really good was silver, but silver gloves make no sense. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, a, a reddish tone, and like, if you're using, okay, what's that? I'm trying to, f- there's a contrast, there's a couple of contrasts here. Oh gosh, which one is it? There's one that is like a good reddish brown um but so yeah yeah it's just look listen to suggestions try and i guess do it and then i mean if the color looks bad i can always just paint over it i guess well you could always you could always do what my solution is when i run when i get to a uh uh a spot in an army where i'm not 100 percent sure how i'm gonna like proceed with it i just start working on a completely different project and then yeah and then i never and then i never finish any of them (laughs) (laughs) that was gonna be the other thing and then rob can jump in when he gets the color but that leads it to my other point is the past like month and richard i know you'll probably relate to this um i've been working 50 plus hour weeks at work and i just don't feel i don't I, i feel exhausted and when I'm exhausted, I can't have that steady hand to try and mm-hmm. paint, and I don't want to try and paint when I'm exhausted and mess something up. So is that one where you just, I guess, take meditative stuff until you get in the mode or just put it on hold until you can? I do. I just I just put – like I am I really want to paint this squig off that I have, and I want to work on like the 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 color scheme that I've come up for with my, my Necrons, but – like just between the amount of time that I I actually have to to do things and it, like I just I don't I put it on hold until I do. Okay, yeah. so I don't I, feel bad that that's my hobby progress of getting stumped and work making me not feel like doing much of anything. So I've I've got yeah. things on hold. No, I'm kind of in that same boat where at times like. I work much better under deadlines. So like knowing, <laughs> for example whether this actually still happens or not, but knowing that LVO is in three months, okay, what army do I want to build for LVO? Can I get it painted in three months? If I don't have that, then I will sit around and think about way cool ways to paint my army 
forever and not actually get around to doing it. <laughs> and I, I'm also right there with you, Kevin. I noticed that when we had tournaments we would, would go to and travel to that put deadlines on it. And that, yep. that did, that was a motivation factor. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so anyway, the color, uh, if you want a reddish brown for the glove, yeah, a, a gore grunt of fur is a really good contrast for that. It's a good, it's a okay. good, like very warm brown, like with reddish tones. And you say contrast, you mean the contrast, the contrast paint. in color. Oh, con- okay. Cause I haven't used any contrast paint on these. Oh, okay. It's just all the regular. Okay. Uh, if you're doing regular paints, um, yeah, I didn't know if you were doing contrast or regular on these. So uh, I'm just, I'm back to the, I've still got all these old regular paints. I'm going to use them. Yeah. I, I yeah. like contrast more on the metals. If that sounds weird. No, it makes, no, I'll probably that use makes contrast sense. Contrast on yeah. the, um, doom bowl brown. Is a good reddish brown, and then okay. if you wanted to contrast the bow, you could do you could make the bow like a lighter tone, like a, yeah, like a you know whether it's like a Baylor brown or a Baneblade brown. I'm looking at uh, layer paints right now, but like if you include base paints, yeah, I include base in case there's a color that. Mornfang uh, Mornfang brown is your reddish brown base paint. Uh, and then, yeah, use something like a Steel Legion Drab or an XV88 for um, the bow to make it kind of like start it as a lighter color and then just kind of build on top of that. XV88 makes me think of Tau stuff. Well, yes, it should. That's what it's named after. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, or you yeah, could even well, go you. like if, like you could even move like in a Xandri Dust direction if you wanted more like almost like a pine bow, like a light. That's what I've actually already used because that's the brown i have <laughs> okay no then then i yeah then i would what i would do is for the glove do like a doom bowl or morn fang to get that okay. more reddish tone. i will w- go to my friendly local game store and check out those two colors and that's my progress or lack thereof yeah similarly i uh, like i have been working like 55 hours a week so i haven't really done anything aside from like i like i said i picked up uh the silent king and a one of the heavy destroyers aside from that yeah haven't done anything nice yeah i've been i've been organizing my hobby area a little bit so um i have the one of the uh ikea like glass like i think it's detlef uh display cases so uh, there's a company's display displaying glass or display oh let's see here Make sure I get it right. Display and Play UK that actually makes um, the like a clear acrylic inserts that you can just that you can put into this case and then because as is right now like the the case is about six feet high and there's basically four shelves which is really nice for like some larger stuff but if I'm doing like infantry I can put more shelf cases in and then you know have more place to put stuff so. Um, I did that. I've bought those. I put those into my display case and then put all of my new Primaris stuff from Indominus and the new Necron stuff and the sisters that I'm still working on unpainted in there. And now that's staring at me when I set up my computer now. So <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's a way to get inspired. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but, you know, it's now I'm looking at it every time I'm on my computer. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a friendly reminder. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, time to keep up morale, and to do that, it's time for the morale phase. And, uh, Dennis, you had a suggestion. Yeah, um, well, I know not everyone has this, but 
I've had a pet for a long time. When I moved, well, she died after 18 years. Um, so then when I moved, I said, well, I want to get another pet. So this past weekend, well, it was a bit of process, but I, I've adopted a new pet, a new cat. And I don't know, pets, I think, are a good way to kind of, I don't want to say keep your mind off of things, but they're they're fun to have around. It's something to, I guess, be social with, take care of, and uh, keep keep your morale up. I know Rob, you've had numerous um, dogs throughout that, we, that we've known. <laughs> yeah, well, and like our 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 current dog Kaiser, who it's possible some of you have heard in the background on a couple of episodes <laughs> since we've been recording from home. I try to edit him out as much as possible, but he is. He is a noisy boy. He is he is also very fond of Kevin. Uh, whenever <laughs> Kevin comes to visit, he really is. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's uh, uh, yeah. Um, like he he will basically like he knows Kevin is coming. He will hear Kevin's voice, and if if the weather's warm enough, he's out on his like tether in the front yard. Kevin will come up, and Kaiser will immediately flatten himself to the ground. His tail, well, he's a corgi, so he doesn't really have a tail. He's got a butt. And his butt will start vibrating. And then and then Kevin will come over and scratch him on the head, and then Kaiser will roll over onto his back and pee happily. <laughs> Invariably, this happens. Oh, my. It's pretty great. Uh, but no, he, he absolutely, he's pretty fond of Richard, too. He, he likes Richard a yeah. lot as well. Yeah, he'll he'll uh, he's peed the floor quite a quite a few times when I've uh, when I've showed okay, up to I, I want to specify he does not have urinating problems any other time, just when y'all come over. <laughs> well, I am very thankful that Shadow, the name of the, the new cat I picked up, so I, my my two cats have been Nightmare and Shadow, uh, <laughs> has not had any any litter box problems, so that that's been good so far. She has been keeping me up at night because she's still getting used to the place and. I am still dead tired from her running around and exploring and me not being able to fall asleep till four. So <laughs> you, you've been doing pretty well for, for not having much sleep. So you, you're handling I got well. four hours, <laughs> but, but you no, know, to get back to your, your point. Yeah. Pets have, are, are, are great to have. And especially like, especially for like dogs and cats who are, much more social animals yeah much more interactive i mean i've had fish before and uh, that's not a pet that's a living display case um that's that that's basically a, a plant that you have to feed um but uh Wait, you have to feed plants yes n- no no that's why the fish are different <laughs> no but uh no that pets are like you know, there's the joke of the emotional support animal, like, you know, the, the licensed emotional support animal. But I can tell you that, like, we, you know, we've been doing the online learning for our kids. And my oldest has had way more homework. You know, technically it's all homework at this point. But, you know, she's had more classwork and she can't work on it during class because class is Zoom meetings. And it's yep. you, it's really hard to, to split focus. She's used to having all her homework done by the time she gets home from school, and now she's sometimes been working till like nine nine o'clock at night on homework mm-hmm. after starting at like eight thirty in the morning. And him being there, like you know, he he loves her, not quite peeing on the floor, love her, but he loves her very much. <laughs> uh, and 
she will come in and just, you know, just greet him and sit down and he will just come up to her and then like flop against her leg and just, they trust each other. They're very fond of each other. And it's, I mean, it's good for him because, you know, his hit, one of his favorite people has come out and giving him love, but it's great for her because it's, it's immediate stress relief for her, which is a big thing right now. Like just having yeah. ways to, to cope with, with, some of the oddities of this year yeah pets uh pets are an important part of the family treat them like part of the family too take care of them especially with winter coming make sure they stay warm and safe and happy Uh, but yeah i not enough can be said about the value of a good pet companion in the home yep i will agree And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, Next episode might be start collecting boxes again, or it might be new books. We'll have to see what comes Uh, down the pipe from Jeep. It's a, we're, we're back in crazy, crazy scheduling time with all the, all the books coming. So I can't tell you what episode 227 will be, but uh, we will definitely have it and we will be here. So until then, I'm your host, Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and wow, cool model. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.